Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Friday night until 2 a.m. Plenty to talk about throughout the course of the show. Obviously, one day closer to Super Bowl 57. And, you know, we're coming up to such a big game. We got we to gotta bust out the big guns here. We got Ray Dinger joining us in the next segment. So Ray will come on, help us break down this game, help us look back at this incredible Eagles season and so many things to digest and dissect as we head forward uh, to the Eagles date with the Kansas City Chiefs in Glendale, Arizona next Sunday. But before we look ahead here, I wanted to start tonight by taking a little look back because as I think about this team, as I think about this incredibly special, and let's face it, this incredibly unexpected season, what continues to astonish me when you look at where the Eagles are is where this team is today compared to where they were two years ago. And there are a lot of facets that go into it, no doubt about it. But to me, like, you look at it, it's pretty obvious. The job that Howie Roseman has done is incredible. To me, the debate is over. Howie Roseman is by far the best general manager in the history of Philadelphia sports. When you look at his resume, when you look at what he has done, certainly since 2016, I mean, what he's done in the past two years is absolutely incredible to rebuild this team from where they were following that disaster of a 2020 season. It's it's insane. Nobody would have believed this would be possible at this point. I believe he is in the midst of having the best run, maybe of anybody in Philadelphia sports history in any role. And, you know, this has become, in my mind, when you look at the Eagles and what they have done, what they have become as an organization, this has become the gold standard of the NFL. And when I look at Howie Roseman and I look at Jeffrey Lurie and I look at them as a duo, they are the best owner-general manager combination in the league. And if you want to get in, 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494. And that's where it all starts. And I want to know if you agree, are Howie and Jeffrey Lurie the best owner-general manager combination in the league? I don't think there's a doubt. And that's where it all starts. Like When you're looking to have a successful organization, it needs to be with your leadership. You know, you need to have people in those positions who know what they're doing and are going to empower the people beneath them to do their jobs properly. And when you look at this organization, I think this is the organization that as we look forward now into the future for the next, you know, 10, 15 years in this league, just like we look back and teams for years were trying to model themselves after the New England Patriots. I think now when we look ahead, Moving forward the next 8, 10, 15 years, people are going to look to model themselves after the Philadelphia Eagles. And it's because of their leadership. Like, you look at what the Eagles have done here. It's not because they drafted Patrick Mahomes. You know, it's not because you look at what's happened with an organization like the Cincinnati Bengals. Where they're run significantly differently now than they were years ago. They drafted Joe Burrow. Like, for a lot of teams, that's what it comes down to. Is you draft a top quarterback – 
that one player changes the face of your organization and you go from there. That's not how the Eagles have done it. The Eagles have done it with a, a second-round draft pick of quarterback Jalen Hurts. Now, Jalen Hurts obviously much better than any of us have expected him to be, but this is because of their leadership. It's because of Jeffrey Lurie, and it's because of Howie Roseman. And with where this team was two years ago, it's truly incredible to see where they are now, starting way back with the Jalen Hurts pick. And, you know, even at the time, obviously that was not a popular move. Coming out of the 2019 season, the questions about why would you take a quarterback in the second round? You have Carson Wentz to build around, but it was foresight. Like, that season went poorly, obviously, but this organization was planning for the future. They were planning ahead. They obviously had concerns about Carson Wentz, and they were not going to sit idly by and not have any sort of a contingency plan. That ended up being a move that was a, a, a franchise-changing decision, a trajectory changer for this organization. That's not luck. That's something that happens with good leadership. That's something that happens with an organization that has a plan, knows what they're doing. You look at the hire of Nick Sirianni, a coach who, this was the only head coaching um, interview Nick Sirianni got during that offseason. The Eagles were far from the only team looking for a head coach at the time. Nobody was biting at Nick Sirianni. Nobody was thinking about Nick Sirianni as being a legitimate candidate. The Eagles brought him in. The Eagles interviewed him. The Eagles found a a diamond in the rough as a head coach. You look at what they did with the Carson Wentz trade, doing something that most teams wouldn't take the risk of doing. I mean, at that time, remember, there was a legitimate debate about whether this was the right way for the Eagles to proceed. You're going to take this dead cap hit. You're going to have all these issues if you move on from Carson Wentz. You've already invested all these draft picks in him. You've invested all invested all this money in him. You can't make this kind of move. But everything the Eagles have done has turned to gold since that point. And it's because of the owner and it's because of the general manager. And if you want to get in, 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494, are Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie the best owner and general manager in the league? And are the Eagles the gold standard now? That comment that Joe Banner made all those years ago that wasn't true at the time, is it true now? Is this the organization that teams are going to try to model themselves after moving forward? I think they are. And if you want to get in here, 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494. And it's mainly because of the way that they think. The way that the Eagles think, the way that they they operate is different than a lot of the organizations do. Like most teams in the NFL are content with making the, you know, safe play. They're content with making the standard move. The Eagles aren't. And here was Howie Roseman during the offseason talking about that and the fact that, you know, in this league, if you really want to ascend, you really want to have big success, you need to do things in an aggressive fashion. It's hard to be that last team stand. You need so many things to go right. And so if you just do things that are down the middle, the way the league kind of sets this up, yeah, you may win 10 games. You, you may make the playoffs. But it's hard to be world champions. It's hard for the confetti to fall on your head when you do things like that. So you have to be willing to at least be out of the box, put yourself out there and um, if you do that, yeah, there, there's some risk involved in that, but there's also tremendous upside. And that's the way the Eagles think. Like, they are always thinking forward. They were always thinking about how can we be aggressive? How can we separate ourselves from the rest of the teams in this league? Here was more from Howie on the nature of taking risks in the NFL. If we're going to be the same as everyone else, we're probably going to finish in the middle of the pack. And sometimes you got to take risks and you got to kind of stand out there and do something different than everyone else. And so if you're doing the same thing that everyone else is doing, you're probably, you know, a step late. And that's why they're so good. 
when you look at this duo, when you look at the way the Eagles have turned things around so quickly, you know, it, it, we look at it and we think, what is, this, what is this great answer to the mystery? Like, how have they been able to do this? What's their secret formula? I don't necessarily think it's that complicated. They're unafraid to do things unconventionally. They're not afraid to do things that other organizations are afraid to even try. They think outside the box. You know, the story a couple years ago about, you know, Alec Hallaby and the analytics and the Eagles, you know, doing things in a different way from most organizations that many people scoffed at at the time. I mean, these are things that put you ahead of the pack. This is how you separate yourself from other organizations in this league, and that's why the Eagles have become so that that that's why they have this advantage now over so many teams because they're not afraid to do things unconventionally they're not afraid to do things differently they're not afraid to take risks and in this league that makes all the difference and if you want to get in 215-592-9494 215-592-9494 but do you believe the Eagles have become the gold standard of the NFL and the team that other organizations are going to model themselves after for years to come because i believe they are this is a formula that I think a lot of teams are going to look at and and say, okay, well, they didn't need to, you know, get a top pick. Like, they didn't need to get a number one pick at quarterback to change the fortunes of their organization. And certainly, you got kind of lucky with Jalen Hurts in the second round. You're not going to be able to do this if you, you know, don't have a legitimate quarterback, if you don't have a guy who can come in here and run your offense and play at a high level. But the way the Eagles have done things, the way they've thought differently – the way they've thought outside the box, and they weren't content as most teams would be after the Carson Wentz disaster. Most teams are going to stick with Carson Wentz at least for the 2021 season and hope and pray that he regains whatever he had in 2017. The Eagles knew that wasn't going to be the case. The Eagles knew as far as Doug Peterson went. You know, Doug was a great coach. Doug was a popular coach. Doug was a guy the players liked. Doug was a guy the fans liked. But they knew for whatever reason, it was not going to work here anymore. They knew that they need to make a change, and that's why they're so successful. When they know things need to be changed, when they know they need either a change of voice or a change of philosophy within the organization, they're not afraid to do it. And that's the difference between the Eagles and all the other organizations, most of the other organizations in the NFL. And I want to know, do you look at them now as the gold standard? Do you look at them as the most well-run organization in this league? I don't know how you can't, considering what they've done with their salary cap and the situation that was in, what they've done with their draft picks, um, not having many picks a couple years ago. And now, I mean, you look at multiple first-round picks, multiple years, and I would expect Howie to keep trading down and keep, acquiring picks for the future. This is not a situation like the Los Angeles Rams where they mortgage the future and now this team is in a bad position moving forward. The Eagles are in a great position and they've become the most well-run organization in the NFL. Does it mean they're going to be the best team every year? Does it mean they're going to win the Super Bowl every year? No, not necessarily. But as far as how well-run are they, I think they're the best-run organization in the league and I'd love to get your take on it. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. And uh, before we go to the phones, I'll ask you, Tucker, do you think this has become the gold standard in the NFL? Do you think this is the team now that most organizations will look at and try to model themselves after, considering how quickly the Eagles have turned this thing around? No, not necessarily. And they certainly should be commended on how quickly they turned things around. But I still look at Howie Roseman and what he's done over the last decade plus, and he's never built anything sustainable. I know the Eagles won the Super Bowl five years ago, and if they win it again, 
you know, they're the only team with two Super Bowl titles really in the last 10 years outside of the Patriots who aren't the gold standard anymore since Tom Brady left and they've kind of struggled with Belichick and Matt Jones, Mac Jones. But I look at what they've built. They've had two good years, right? Like they've had two good years really in the last decade. And you can talk about 2013 to 2014 when they won 10 games, but they've had two seasons where they're legitimate Super Bowl contenders and they took advantage of those. And that's great. But until Howie Roseman builds a contender who can compete for more than one year, I can't call them the gold standard. They should certainly be commended for how great they were in 2017 and how quickly they rebuilt it. But when I look at Howie Roseman and everyone giving him flowers for how great he's been and saying, well, no other GM would ever do this, no other GM would ever be able to, you know why? Because no other GM would have the job security Howie Roseman does, right? Like no other GM would have survived 2020 except for Howie Roseman because of the trust Jeff Lurie has. And certainly Jeff Lurie was right to trust Howie Roseman based on how things have gone. But until they build a team that can win, you know, 10 games back-to-back years or go deep into the playoffs back-to-back years, I can't call them the model franchise in the NFL. All of that is true. And if you want to get into 1-5-5-9-2-9-4-9-4, all of that is true. But I believe that unwavering support that Howie gets from ownership is why he's able to do the things he's able to do. Like, this is part of the problem, I think, for a lot of teams in the NFL, is that general managers do feel a lot of pressure. They do feel a lot of uh, of pressure to succeed year in and year out. And let's face it, like Howie is not able to do the things that he does after 2020 if he's worried about his job security. That's what makes this organization so good. That's what makes Jeffrey Lurie such a good owner. And here was Lurie talking about Howie and, and their relationship and how Lurie feels about the job that Howie's done over the years. Howie deserves a lot of credit. We've uh, obviously over the last five years, we've you know, been in the playoffs for the five years and won a Super Bowl. He's he's really good at building a roster, uh, rebuilding a roster. He's uh, he's very very well regarded in uh, in the league, and uh, that was you know that's it's it's always a, a hard decision to take every single instance and evaluate it. And it was a pretty easy decision to make when it came to really looking at the facts. And that was Jeffrey Lurie when he signed Howie Roseman to that extension. In the offseason, that when you look at the facts and you look at what Howie has done as a whole, signing him long term was a, an easy decision to make. And that's to me what separates the Eagles from a lot of these other teams. And yeah, we could talk about the mistakes, and I'm not saying there haven't been mistakes made. There have been mistakes made. But for that reason, I think that's why this organization, they're not going to let this stuff happen again. I truly believe that. I think they saw in the aftermath of 2017 what can happen after you win a Super Bowl. And the fact that egos can get a little a little big. And, you know, people can get a little insecure. And things can spiral out of control. Having that experience now, if the Eagles win the Super Bowl, I don't think that's going to happen again. I feel very strongly that it won't happen again. And I think the difference with the Eagles – compared to other organizations around this league, is the fact that Howie Roseman has the complete and unwavering support of Jeffrey Lurie. And as much as we've talked about it, and as much as we've talked about this relationship and how can it can be a bad thing, and Jeffrey Lurie will never hold Howie Roseman accountable, I disagree with that completely. I think Jeffrey will hold Howie accountable, but I don't think holding him accountable necessarily means firing him. Like, I don't think holding him accountable means you know, letting him go and not having him run the organization anymore. 
And that, to me, is what separates the Eagles from other organizations, is a lot of GMs, when they have a year like how he had in 2020, and it was a bad year, admittedly, and I guess you could say a couple bad years leading up to it when you look at re-signing all players and, and the situation the Eagles were in going into that season, most organizations in that sort of situation will panic, and they'll move on from the GM, and Jeffrey Lurie could have done that at the time. And let's face it, it would have been a very popular decision. If Jeffrey Lurie, after 2020, had decided to fire Howie instead of Doug, most people would have been happy. That's what most people were calling for. But Jeffrey Lurie is focused on one thing, and that's doing what's best for the organization. And and for whatever reason, he knew at that point that, yeah, getting rid of Howie, that's not the right way to go. I'm not going to overreact to some mistakes that were made because I trust Howie to be the one that can get us out of this. I trust Howie to rebuild this thing. Doug, as well as he's done and as good a coach as he's been here, we need a new voice. We need a culture change. And the moves that the Eagles made following that year really set the tone for what we've seen now. And this turnaround that this team has had over the last 24 months, I don't think we've seen anything like it in the NFL. I don't think we have seen this unprecedented of a difference considering where they were after 2020 to where they are now, going from a team where we looked, this was looking like it was going to be a five-year rebuild. And now, two years later, best roster in the NFL, one of the best salary cap situations potentially in the league moving forward, the best draft pick situation in the league moving forward. This is sustainable. This is not the same as 2017. I truly believe that, that this is a more sustainable way to go about it. And the way this organization is run, it's because of the leadership. It's because of Jeffrey. It's because of Howie. And I think they are the gold standard looking forward here. And when you view what they have done and where they are headed and, you know, how things project moving forward, it's because of those two guys. It's because of the leadership. And you can have great players. You can have a great coach. You can have all of those things. But if you don't have an owner who fully empowers the GM and you don't have a GM that knows what he's doing in every facet and you don't have an, an innovative front office and an innovative thinking organization, you're just not going to have success. It is impossible to succeed without having all of those things. And for that reason, I, I think you're going to see teams over the next few years really look at the Eagles, what the Eagles have done and try to emulate it. I don't think any of them will, though, because I think, you know, Howie and Jeffrey have a very specific type of relationship. I think they are on the same page like very few owners and general managers are in this league. And when you have that strong of a relationship between those two parties and you have that kind of leadership, that is how you get this level of success. Um, and I think the Eagles have become the organization that teams are going to look to model themselves after moving forward. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Got open lines if you would like to join the show here. Do you think the Eagles are the gold standard of the NFL now? Do you think they are the organization that teams are going to model themselves after moving forward? I absolutely do. And it's because of the leadership, it's because of the ownership, and because of the front office. Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman, I think they're the best owner and general manager combination in this league. And the fact that Lurie empowers Howie totally, that's not a bad thing. 
That's a good thing. That's exactly what you want. You want an owner to be able to trust his GM the way Jeffrey Lurie trusts Howie, and I think it's why they've had so much success in rebuilding this thing and rebuilding it so quickly. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. When we get back, we will be joined by the Hall of Famer, Ray Dinger. Ray will hop on for a few minutes, uh, talk about all this stuff with us, the Eagles rebuild, and obviously Super Bowl 57. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly with you till 2, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Friday night. If you want to get in, 215 592 9494. But right now, joined by a very special guest. You can catch him on the Eagles post game live, uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia, also all over the place here on 94 WIP. Haven't spoke to him in such a long time, but Ray Dinger joins us. What's up, Ray? Thanks for hopping on for a few minutes. Always a pleasure, Tom. How you doing? I'm doing great, Ray. And obviously, I mean, this season's been incredible. First off, you know, how much have you enjoyed watching this Eagles season? You know, a little different than than past years. How much have you enjoyed just watching this team and the way they've dominated this year? Oh, I've enjoyed it tremendously, like every other fan. You know, just sitting back and uh, every every week, just uh, sitting back and 
just watching it, taking it all in, enjoying it, still taking my notes. I'm still, you know, when I watch the game, I still have my yellow legal tablet in my lap, and I'm still, you know, logging every day, every play, charting everything, and uh, I'm, I'm still keeping I'm still keeping the notepad going. But uh, as far as uh, just enjoying it, yeah, I mean, you got to. I mean, this is, uh, you know, Tom. Listen, if they uh, if they win next Sunday in Arizona. You know, we will have witnessed the greatest season in Eagles history. You know, I mean, by any statistical measure, you know, most wins, most yards, most sacks, most points, uh, all of that stuff. Uh, I mean, they will have uh, – the Eagles have been around since 1933, but if the Eagles win next Sunday, you can probably you can probably say this is the greatest season this franchise ever had. Yeah, and it's crazy, Ray, and what we've been talking about so far tonight is just – how quickly they've turned it around because I mean you think back 24 months ago at this time you know they they're coming off that horrible 2020 season they have the whole Carson Wentz situation hanging over their head they fire Doug hire Nick Sirianni and and you know that that initial press conference how incredible is it considering where they were two years ago how quickly uh, Jeffrey Lurie and Howie have turned this thing around yeah amazing amazing and I I don't know that you know nobody really is talking about that much. You know, I'm kind of glad you are, because I, I kind of think that people have kind of have kind of scrubbed that from their memory. You know, and to really appreciate to really appreciate what this team is doing this year, you really do have to put it in some context here, and you really have to do look back to two years ago. Look at where you were. I mean, you you've won four games. You you're you're about ready to move on from Carson Wentz. Um, you're about ready to fire your coach really start over again in a lot of ways, um, really bad salary cap shape, uh, a lot of questions about whether the general manager could draft or not. Um, I mean, this franchise looked like they were circling the drain two years ago, and, and here they are. I mean, rebuilt with a new coach, a new quarterback, a whole new coaching staff, uh, and they're back in the Super Bowl. I mean, it's, it's, really, it's really remarkable. You don't see this happen in the National Football League very often. I mean, the way things are set up here, uh, it's, you know, it's hard to sustain success. It, it really is. And generally, if a team wins and all of a sudden they sort of fall off a cliff, they usually just keep going for a while. But this team turned it around in record time. And, you know, it's a credit to the, it's a credit to the players, obviously, and it's a credit to the coaches, but it's a, it's a credit to the organization because, uh, you know, Jeff Lurie stuck with Howie Roseman through a couple of years where everybody wanted him gone. And then Jeff trusted Howie that he could dig them out of this mess, and he did a great job. Yeah, and, and it, it's crazy, Ray. Ray Dinger joining us now for a few minutes, and, and obviously they have a very clo- close relationship, Jeffrey and Howie. Uh, Ray, what do you think makes them such a, a successful duo? Because obviously there were mistakes made, uh, and after that 2020 season, they made a lot of changes. But but what do you think makes them such a, a successful uh, duo running this organization? Uh, well, I mean, the trust that you know the trust that Jeff has in Howie is uh, is complete. You know, I mean, he realizes. You know, Jeff, I think, will always regret letting Chip Kelly force him into sort of exiling Howie at the end at the end of the Chip Kelly years. I mean, the year that when Chip just basically forced forced Howie out of the football operation. I mean, it would have been very easy for Jeffrey to just let him go altogether. You know, look, my coach, my coach doesn't want him around. Let's just get rid of him. Would have been a very easy thing, and I think I dare say most owners would have done that. Mm-hmm. You know, they wouldn't. You know, but. 
Jeff felt very loyal to Howie, and he felt that Howie still had value. And Howie and Chip couldn't work together. That was pretty obvious. So that wasn't, you know, trying to keep make them work together wasn't, you know, wasn't a healthy situation. But Jeff wasn't re- Jeff wasn't ready to part ways with Howie, uh, and he felt that he still could contribute to the organization. And as it turned out, by the end of that year, Jeff wanted to get rid of Chip. And as soon as he got rid of Chip, he reinstated Howie into the football operation. And that's when, you know, they went out and hired Doug Peterson, which at the time nobody thought was a good idea. And they wound up winning the Super Bowl. Uh, and then after they decided to move on from Doug, you know, they Howie was kind of the, the point man in going off and finding the next coach. And they bring in Nick Sirianni, who, again, nobody knew. Uh, and look how it's worked out. I mean, it's um, they work very well together. Uh, a lot of it has to do with just the fact that, that Jeffrey completely believes in Howie uh, and thinks he's a really smart guy, acknowledges the fact that he'll make mistakes like everybody else does. I mean, nobody bats a 1,000 in the draft, and Howie's had his he's, – he's whiffed on a few, as we all know. But for the most part, his decisions have been borne out to be pretty good, and some of them just inspired. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have Jalen Hurts as a second-round draft pick. I mean, I, didn't, I had real questions about whether he could play in the NFL. I thought I was one of the people that laughed when they picked Jordan Mailata. You know, they're drafting a rugby player? Seriously? You're using a draft pick when a guy's never played football? Uh, so, I mean, so there were some decisions they made that I had me scratching my head. And they've turned out to be correct. So it's, you know, I mean, a lot has gone right here. But the one thing about, you know, the one thing about Jeff is, you know, he's been, he's owned this team for a long time, but he's far and away the best owner this organization's ever had. Uh, And, um, you know, he's surrounded himself. He does what smart people at the tops of organizations do. He hires good people and he lets them, he lets them work. And Howie is a perfect example of that. I mean, he's been, He's been pushing the buttons now for a good long time, and most of the ones he's pushed have been the right ones. Yeah, and Ray, one of the things you touched on there is just their success in hiring coaches, at least for the short term. Like, obviously, you know, after a while, uh, it, it, they had to move on from Doug. I mean, you know I'm not the biggest Chip fan, but even in, right. the, in the beginning, it worked out where they had a couple good seasons with Chip. What do you think it is that, that makes them so good at, at at least hiring the right coach at the right time and having, you know, good at least short-term success with pretty much every coach they've hired? Well, I, I, I think that's real significant, Tom. Um, when you look back over Chip's ownership, I mean, look back over Jeff's ownership, um, he has, he, you, can't make, you can't say any of them were a bad decision. You really can't. I mean, starting with Ray, Ray Rhodes, you know, first, first you know, he hires Ray Rhodes, had never been a head coach before, um, brings him in, and um, – <clears throat> Ray Rose is coach of the year his first year. You know, it took him to the playoffs his first two years. And, you know, okay, it sort of flames out. And then they move on and they hire Andy, who nobody knew. Uh, never been a head coach, never even been a coordinator. Uh, lots of questions asked about him. And he coaches 14 years, takes you to a bunch of championship games, takes you to the Super Bowl, wins more games than any coach in team history. Okay, you move on from him and you hire Chip. Again, no NFL experience. And even though people look back on the Chip Kelly year and say, oh, boy, you know, look, well, really take a look at it. I mean, the first two years, you won double-digit games, went to the playoffs. Uh, first year, he wins the division. First time that had ever happened when he coached in this franchise, that a guy won, actually won his division in his first year as head coach. Chip did that. Uh, then the third year, he just got power-hungry and, and really kind of kicked himself out the door. Um, then, you know, like Doug Peterson, same thing. 
you know, who knows? Doug Peterson, are you kidding? Well, winds up winning a Super Bowl. And we went through the same thing with Sirianni. And that's why the hiring of Sirianni was not a very popular one, as you know. I mean, all the people in the town were saying, are you crazy? I mean, nobody even knows who this guy is. Um, and the thing that I said right from the beginning was I said, look at this guy. Look at, look at Jeff's record. You know, I mean, look at all of his hires. Can you really say any of them were wrong? I mean, you know, there's, there's not a Matt Patricia or there's not a Jim Zorn in the bunch. You know, that's one of these guys that comes in and just looks he's completely incompetent. You know, owners make those mistakes all the time, and Jeff doesn't. So that's why, even though, even though things got off to a very rocky start for Nick Sirianni, uh, and we all know that, uh, I just said, give this guy time. Because the one thing we've seen with Jeff's hires is he, when it's all said and done, it, it, you, you have to step back and say, hey, you know what? I think, he, I think he got this one right. And at this point, everybody's willing to acknowledge that, that Nick Sirianni was the right decision. Yeah, no doubt about it. Ray Didinger uh, joining us now on the show. And, and Ray, that, that's the, the next thing I wanted to touch on here because Nick Sirianni, it did get off to a bad start last year. Press conference and then, you know, they're 2-5 and five to start the year. They have that really ugly game in Las Vegas. What has impressed you the most with the way Nick Sirianni's changed, and what specifically do you think he has done to, to, to kind of turn things around after that that really disastrous start? Yeah, um, well, the, the thing that he did that and, and it, it really impressed me was I think at two and five um, he realized what we're doing is not working, you know, and it's a very hard thing for any coach, but especially a new coach, to acknowledge. You know, my methodology, you know, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe I'm part of the problem here. I, you know, uh, let, let's just change. You know, let, let's just go back to the basics. And I, I think what they really did, and, and Nick has sort of acknowledged this in, in so many words, is, you know, we kind of just took a step back and said, you know, wait a minute. What's the real strength of our team? You know, what, what, what do we do best? Where are our best players? And they sort of said, you know what, it's our offensive line. Um, let's let's just go and just lean on those guys. If that's if that's where where our strength is, and clearly it is, you know, let's just lean on our offensive line and start running the ball. We got a we got a really good offensive line, probably the best in the league, and we have some pretty good backs here. You know, let's just let you know. It's look, I love to throw the ball. We all love to throw the ball. That's really kind of the way we'd like to play. But you know, right now I think we're if we're going to get out of this, we better try and run our way out of this. And, you know, I mean, it, it seems like an easy thing to say, you know, well, well, of course you're going to go with what your strength is. But a lot of coaches aren't willing to do that because it, it really is kind of acknowledging I, I was wrong. And coaches very, are, are very loath to do that. And especially rookie head coaches are afraid to do that because then it looks like they don't know what they're doing. But Nick, Nick was willing to do it. And that decision turned the whole course of the season around. And what looked like a season that was headed towards, you know, another four or five wins, all of a sudden gets you in the playoffs. And that really got the program back on its feet. And even though they're, they're one and done in the playoffs, you know, I think everybody kind of said, okay, I think this, I think this thing is, is heading in the right direction. Now, it's obviously gotten here a lot faster than we thought that they're playing in the Super Bowl. But that was that. In answer to your question, that was what really kind of impressed me about Sirianni was that he was willing. He was willing to change. And I have seen, believe me, I have seen a lot of coaches that were just get real stubborn, or get real prideful, or just fearful of of just acknowledging that they were wrong and doing something different. 
And the fact that Nick was able to do that and ultimately make the right decision, I thought was a, you know, uh, it's not something you see every day. And when I saw it in Sirianni, I thought that that was, I said, okay, I think this guy gets it. And I think now it's pretty obvious he does. Yeah, Ray, and you, you bring up the offensive line, and obviously we've seen a ton of great Eagles offensive lines over the years, but it's really been incredible this year. It doesn't seem to matter who they play, that they dominate every single week. Is this the best Eagles offensive line that, that you think you've ever seen? I've thought about that, um, and it may be. You know, it it really may be. I mean, I I mean, I go all the way back to the Vermeil teams in the seventies, mm-hmm. and and the line and that line was very good. I mean, the two tackles, Sizemore and Walters, are both in Eagles Hall of Fame. The center guy Morris, uh, who sadly just passed away, was a really good player. And they were just kind of getting by at the guard positions, but the other spots were really good. You know, and Andy's offensive line was really good. You know, Andy's offensive line was was. Yeah, you kind of say that was the strength of their team, really. And again, started at the tackles. You had two really good tackles in Runyon and Trey Thomas. Uh, and um, Mayberry, you know, was a good guard. People forget about him, but I mean, he, he went to a Pro Bowl. Uh, and once they moved him from tackle, where he was not really a good fit, he moved him to guard. He played much better. Uh, you know, and Fraley was a you know a good, tough, hard-nosed center. Uh, so they were, I mean, they were good too. Uh, you know, and then you, then you got Doug's team, which you know again really good at the tackles. I mean Peters, who's an all-time great player, uh, and Lane Johnson, who's an, an outstanding player. I, I would tell you, I think both Peters and Lane Johnson should be in the Hall of Fame someday. Not just the Eagles Hall of Fame, but the big one out in Canton. I think they're that good. Uh, and so that that group was really really good too. And, and Brooks was a really good guard. That was awfully good. But this group might be the best yet. You know, this this group might be the best yet. Um, because Kelsey, to me, even at his age right now, I think is playing his best football. I think this year might have been his best year, and he's and he's had a lot of great ones. But this year, I thought he was just just really outstanding. Uh, and Lane Johnson has been great. I mean, hasn't given up a sack in two years. You know, Mylotta has been an, an absolute revelation at left tackle. Uh, you know, and Samalu has grown into a good, solid. You know, he doesn't get much publicity. He doesn't talk much. Hardly anybody knows he's there. But he's done a really good job. And Dickerson, who they drafted with the idea that he was probably going to be the center that was going to replace Kelsey, you know, got forced into the lineup due to injury, and they had to put him at guard. And now he and Mylotta have formed a really good left side of that line. So tackle to tackle, you know, I, I mean, I talk to a lot of people around the league all the time to try and get honest evaluations, you know, back and forth, talking about players around the league and teams. Mm-hmm. And I've said to a couple guys, you know, when you know, maybe I'm a little biased here because I see the Eagles every week, and maybe I'm missing, maybe I'm missing something. Tell me if I'm, I am. I think this is the best offensive line in the league, and I don't think there's much of a question about it. Nobody has challenged that. I mean, there's no, not a single person that said, now nah, you're wrong, or no, nah, I think you're overrating them. Everybody I've talked to, on that subject has agreed with me 100%. Yeah, they're the best. And I think they've and I think they've demonstrated that certainly the last 2 weeks. I mean, with the way they with they really they really dominated the Giants and again last week dominated a really good front seven with the 49ers. I mean, that's that's a team that nobody nobody was pushing around all year and the Eagles did. I mean, if you just look at the at the basic numbers the 49ers defense this year was given up an average of 16 points a game. The Eagles basically doubled that. And they were given up 77 yards a game on the ground, and the Eagles doubled that. So 
that's you know that's an indication that your offensive line was winning the battle uh, in a big time way. And if that's that's really kind of going to be the heart of the game next week is if if the Eagles' offensive line can show the same kind of dominance against Kansas City, you know, and allow you to control the ball, win time of possession, keep Patrick Mahomes off the field, you know, that's probably that's probably the key to winning that football game. Yeah, and, you know, Ray, Ray, I did want to ask you a little more about that because, you know, you look at this matchup now with the Eagles and the Chiefs, and, you know, it seems like the Eagles would have the advantage at most positions, uh, aside from quarterback, where Patrick Mahomes is probably the best player in football. But, um, you know, how do you see these teams matching up? And do you think that this could be a situation like we saw in the Super Bowl two years ago where, you know, it didn't really matter how great Patrick Mahomes was because the Bucks just dominated on both lines of scrimmage. Do you think that's a situation that, that we could see again uh, next weekend? You could. I mean, especially because Mahomes is, you know, clearly playing with an injury. I mean, anybody that knows anything about high ankle sprains knows that that doesn't heal overnight. Um, I mean, that's a significant injury. Now, I have no doubt he's going to play with it just because he's Patrick Mahomes and this is the Super Bowl, so he's going to be out there. But he's going to be at less than 100%. Doesn't mean he can't beat you. I mean, he still can because he's that good. But it's, it's definitely going to affect him. And, and as great as Mahomes is, and you're right, he's great, um, we saw what happened two years ago when the Tampa Bay Buccaneer defense, which was very good, uh, just overwhelmed the Kansas City offense, particularly overwhelmed their offensive line, which really wasn't very good then. Uh, and as good as Mahomes was, he just couldn't make a play. You know, I mean, he tried, but, I mean, he just couldn't do anything because he didn't have any, he didn't have any help, he didn't have any protection. Um, and that's uh, the Eagles are going to try and create that kind of make it that kind of game again, and they have the personnel to do it. Now the Chiefs' offensive line is better now than it was then. Uh, but, yeah, I don't think the Eagles are going to quite have their way with these guys to the extent that Tampa Bay did with the Chiefs two years ago, uh, when they were playing with a lot of backups and a lot of guys who weren't frankly weren't that good. And this offensive line is better, but the Eagles' defensive line is better than they are, and. And we'll see how it goes, you know. I, but I think that's, you know, I think that's the formula here. And the Eagles, I, I really thought, I really thought each of the last two weeks, I thought it was going to be, I thought it was going to be a dogfight with the Giants. I really did. After seeing the Giants, what the Giants did to Minnesota, um, and the way they played in Minnesota, uh, I thought, you know, the Giants game. Look, I think the Eagles are going to win, but I don't think it's going to be easy. But yet it was. And then last week, for sure, I didn't think it was going to be easy against the 49ers. Uh, and yet the Eagles won that game convincingly, too. And you can say, okay, everything changed when Brock Purdy got knocked out. And, you know, certainly that was part of it. But the other part of it was the degree to which the Eagles' offensive line won the battle against the 49ers' front seven. That was impressive. And if they come out and they play the same way against the Chiefs, I mean, it, could, it should really be an Eagles kind of day. Yeah, I no doubt about it, and, and the, the play at the line of scrimmage is going to be a, a huge part of it. But, Ray, I did want to ask you as well about, you know, another big storyline going into the Super Bowl will obviously be about Andy and his ties to Philadelphia. Um, you know, I'm a big Andy fan, um, but, you know, when you look at Andy's legacy in Philadelphia, do you think he still – do you think you still see the effect that Andy Reid had on this organization even today with the way they build and, and do things very similarly uh, to the early years under Andy? Yeah, for sure, for sure, and I, th- I think most people recognize that. Um, I mean, Andy's—you know—Ron Jaworski and I were talking about it last Sunday um, after the after the Eagles championship game, and 
when it became pretty obvious it was going to be they had you had a real good chance here of it being Eagles Chiefs. We were, we were Aunt Ron and I talked about Andy a lot. Not not even on camera. We were just sort of off camera talking. And Ron made, Ron made the point, and what he said, his exact words were, you know, Andy's hand, Andy's fingerprints are all over this team. Um, and he's right. They are. And I think most people kind of realize that. They don't, I don't think they think about it a lot. But if you, if you really did think about it, you'd realize it was. Because his, um, his philosophy, his basic philosophy um, – that he that he brought to this organization and really instilled in this organization um, was we're going to build at the line of scrimmage. You know we're going to build we're going to build on the offensive line. We're going to build on the defensive line. You know we're going to win in the trenches. I mean that was Andy's philosophy. Andy being an old lineman himself, he really thought that's you, know, you need you need a quarterback. You need playmakers. Yeah, that's for sure. But you're not going to win big if you can't win at the line of scrimmage. And so that was how he built his teams. Uh, and and that was the lesson that was learned by the organization. It was a lesson that was learned by Howie, Howie Roseman, you know, sitting in all the meeting rooms and sitting in the drafts with, with Andy, watching him, you know, watching him build those lines. Howie, Howie applies the same philosophy, and he, and he talks about it a lot. And to his credit, I mean, he talks about Andy. You know, you know when, Andy was, when Andy was here, we, this is how we did things, and look at, look at our record. Look at how we won. I mean, four straight championship games. Um, and it's it's it. Listen, it's a very sound philosophy. But Andy was the one that really taught this organization how to build. They taught this organization how to practice. He taught them how to train. Uh, and a lot of that, you know, a lot, you know, he was here for 14 years. So a lot of that he he kind of baked into the whole organization. And even though he left, it remained. And you know, his next coach was Doug Peterson, who was his guy. Uh, and so all of that stuff carried on, and I think it's carrying on now. So. And I think most of the fans realize that and appreciate that. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to be rooting for Andy next Sunday. That, that, that ain't going to happen. Right. But I think everybody at this point has, uh, looks at what Andy Reid did here and said, you know, it's, he was a great coach. And the people here from this organization learned a lot from him. And the fact that uh, his way of doing things – is still going on is probably a very healthy thing for this organization. Yeah, no doubt. And, Ray, just, just one more for you, and thanks for hopping on uh, here on the show tonight. But one more for you, and I haven't asked you about the quarterback yet, but obviously one of the big stories about this year, and one of the, I guess, the big surprises in many people's minds, the development of Jalen Hurts. I mean, what do you think about how quickly he's developed and what surprised you in terms of how quickly it's all come together for him in the NFL? How the that that part of it the quick how quickly um, I, I really felt last year after watching him after watching him play a season that he was going to be he was going to be really good I, I I didn't really have any question he was going to be you know the question is he the guy that was the question everybody said do you think he's really the guy and I said yeah I think he is um, he demonstrated that to me last year uh, I thought in a very I thought in a very conclusive way by the end of the year I mean even though. The Tampa the Tampa playoff game was not a good game, and it ended on a sour note. That to me didn't over that didn't overshadow what he had accomplished during the season. I, I thought it was damn impressive, uh, and so I I was fully on board with him um, after last season. As you know, no, I think he's the guy moving forward. I really do. Now, did I think at that point that he was at this time this year he would take him to the Super Bowl, or at this time this year we'd be talking about him as you know, as one of the three finals for MVP. No, I didn't. I didn't think that. Um, the the rate at which this happened, how fast this happened, that surprised me. But the fact that he made this kind of progress and really 
took hold of this job uh, and, and really took hold of this team uh, didn't surprise me because I definitely saw that coming. Um, he's, you know, he's a very unusual guy uh, who, who plays the position in a very unusual way. I mean, the Eagles offense, the Eagles offense is different than everybody else's offense. Nobody runs an offense quite like the Eagles with using the quarterback this way. Um, I mean, other teams have the other teams have elements of RPO built into their offense. You see it, but nobody really runs their offense off of it. Nobody makes that kind of the foundation of their offense. The Eagles do, and it it makes them a really challenging team to prepare for if you're a defensive coordinator, and um, and it really all begins it really all begins with Jalen Hurts and. You know, you you surround him, you put him behind the best offensive line in the league, which we all kind of agree on, uh, and you surround him with the kind of playmakers he's got, two thousand-yard receivers on the outside, and a really good tight end, uh, and three really good but very diverse kinds of running backs that can really mix and match to almost any situation, and then you put him in there, a quarterback that's a real playmaker, a guy that can really run. Uh, and a guy that doesn't make mistakes, doesn't turn the ball over, doesn't do stupid things, that's really a good offense. It's really a good offense. I mean, it's explosive and sound at the same time. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, to me it's no accident that they are where they are right now, and to me it's no aberration or fluke. I mean, I I think they're legitimately the best team in the league. They have been for most of this year, Um, and... You know, I, I think it's kind of cool that we're going into the Super Bowl with both the number one seeds playing because very often they get knocked off. It's, you know, it's not that often that the two top seeds wind up actually playing for the Super Bowl. In fact, it's almost an exception rather than a rule. Uh, but I like it when it happens because you know the two best teams over the course of the season. I kind of like to see it when they're the two best teams. They're the two teams that are slugging it out. And we'll get to see that next week. Yeah, no doubt. And it's going to be fun. And so many storylines between these two teams. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a, going to be a fun uh, week leading up to it, Ray. But you can catch Ray on Eagles Post Game Live, NBC Sports Philadelphia. Uh, he'll be on the air a lot here on WIP as well. Ray, thanks for, for coming on for a few minutes. I really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully I see you soon and uh, miss those Saturdays out with you in Glen at Delaware Park. Oh, I miss them too. <laughs> they, were, uh, they were a lot of fun. Um, I just wanted to say before I go that I will be doing a book signing, if anybody's interested, um, this Sunday. I'm going to be on with Glenn tomorrow at 11. Uh, and then on Sunday I will be doing a book signing at a place called The Wheelhouse, which is a uh, uh, cards and collectible store with, uh, that uh, is partners with Shibe Sports. Uh, and uh, they have all the Shibe Sports apparel. So all the Eagles hats, all the Eagles T-shirts, all the Eagles jerseys and all that stuff, is they've got all of that stuff for sale. And the place is located at 106 East Lancaster Avenue in Wayne, right there in the middle of the shopping district in Wayne. So uh, come on out on Saturday. I will be there uh, signing copies of my books, and uh, you can stop by and say hello, and we'll talk some Eagles football. I will be there from noon to 2, so hopefully I'll see you then. Well, awesome. Well, make sure you stop by and see Ray uh, out there tomorrow and make sure you're tuned in tomorrow at 11 uh, when uh, you hop on with Glenn. But, Ray, thanks again, man. Really appreciate it. All right, Tommy. Always a pleasure. Take care. All right. Take it easy. That's Ray Dinger hopping on for a few minutes. It's been a long time since talked to Ray. So uh, nice of Ray to hop on. Really appreciate it and breaking down everything with the Eagles and the Super Bowl coming up here. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Back to your calls when we return. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Okay, picture this. 
It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Friday night. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. Thanks so much to Ray Dinger for hopping in for uh, a few minutes there to talk about the Eagles. And, I mean, always love just, you know, getting Ray's thoughts and just sitting back and listening to Ray break down this historic season and uh, this matchup coming up. And, obviously, we will break this Super Bowl down uh, a lot more over the next week or so. Radio Row coverage, I know, uh, John and Ike are going to be out there next week. Joe Giglio is going to be out there next week. Uh, So make sure you are tuned in uh, to get live coverage from Arizona. And, man, I wish I had booked my Arizona trip this time around. I I chose wrong. I went to the Arizona game back in October. Now, if I I had the proper amount of faith in this team, I would have just booked my trip for for this week, and I would have been out. I feel like the atmosphere is going to be a little different. I feel like the tickets might have been a little bit too expensive for me this time around. A little cheaper last time, like, you know, much more affordable. This right. time I think prices like prices I mean, are probably pretty pay, high. You could have taken whatever money you spent on those tickets. Just kept betting on the Eagles to win up until now. I'm sure it would have covered it. Yeah, I mean I, I could have. And I saw I I still what were you celebrating in there, Tucker? I saw you pumping oh, your fist over in uh, Minnesota or Orlando. And yeah. Got a solid eighty two combined points in the fourth quarter to to hit that over. Here we are. I mean Tucker, no offense, but I think you might need to reevaluate things here. It's February 3rd, and you're betting on the over of a Timberwolves magic game? Bet the over on the last Timberwolves game, too. It hit by, like, 30. They're hot. <laughs> there you go. Well, hey, if it's working for you, who, who am I to judge? Uh, 215. Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell. <laughs> you know the Timberwolves? They, they don't win, but they sure score a lot of points. Well, you know, whatever's whatever's putting money in your pocket, I mean, that's all that really matters. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. In a few minutes here, we do need to get to some – 
uh, pretty big Eagles news. They retain one of their coaches uh, who I didn't know was was potentially on the way out, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. But first, you know, to reset what we've been talking about to start the show here is I believe the Eagles are the gold standard of the NFL now. I, I think with what they have done in the last two years, and it's not to say they won't have down periods. It's not to say they won't have down years. But I feel like they have figured out a formula for success that is sustainable. And let's face it, that's what the Eagles have really been chasing for years now. You know, really since that early 2000s period with Andy, they haven't had a five-year stretch like that, like they had from 2000 to 2004. They've had successful years. They've obviously had good teams. They've won championships. But they've never had that sort of five-year run. And I think that's what they've been after ever since Andy. And I think they finally figured out that formula. And the reason why they have been able to to do this and the reason why they have been able to kind of figure out something that works is because of stability at the ownership and general manager spots. And many teams just don't have what the Eagles have. And for as much as people wanted Howie fired a few years ago, wanted Howie to be, you know, let go, Jeffrey Lurie knew it wasn't the right decision. He knew that Howie Roseman just even though he made mistakes, even though the Eagles got in trouble. And I would say it's becoming more and more evident the further we move away from 2020 that that was more than anything just Carson Wentz. Like, not that that team is great, but if they got average quarterback play that year, I think they would have won the division. Like, the division was bad. They could have been 7-8-1 or whatever it was and won the division with that record. Carson Wentz was just so bad, it was impossible to win with a quarterback playing that way. That being said, Jeffrey Lurie chose to make the unpopular decision. He chose to go against the grain. That's why the Eagles are successful. They're not afraid to zig when other teams ag. And, you know, they take risks. They do things differently. They're willing to think unconventionally. And the ownership and general manager, the ownership and front office being on the same page is such a huge deal. And the fact that Howie has unwavering support, you know, some people might look at it and say it's not fair. He's not held accountable, but in the end, it gives him a, a a level of security and a level of it gives him an ability to to do things that other general managers aren't willing to do. Like the moves how he made after the 2020 season, trading Carson Wentz, taking that dead cap hit, a general manager who's fearing for his job won't make those kind of decisions. You need your general manager to be completely secure and be completely you know, uh, able to do whatever he wants to do to put the organization in the best spot for success. Now, to need to have a general manager in that spot, you also need to have faith in him. You need to have trust in him. And to me, that's the biggest thing. Jeffrey and Howie, the trust, the relationship they have with each other, that's what makes this such a good organization. That's why they've turned it around so quickly, and that's why I think it's really sustainable moving forward here. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Uh, we'll get to the coach the Eagles are retaining in a couple minutes here. First, let's go to Chase in Coatesville. What's up, Chase? Hey, what's going on, TK? Uh, I just kind of want to talk about the trenches along your lines, right, of, of Howie and Jeffrey, right, retaining – what they want to retain from Andy. Andy taught Howie how to build from the trenches, and I think we're really seeing that here. This is the epitome, Eagles team, of building from the trenches. 
This is the best O-line I've ever seen in my entire life. And that's going off of the 2017 team, right? That, that O-line was crazy. This O-line is even better. And, and I think that this D-line is even better. And that's the recipe to get Mahomes off his spot, right? If we go back from that Bucks team, the Bucks team that beat the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, who is a great quarterback in the Super Bowl, that was the recipe. The recipe was that D-line. The recipe was that Chiefs O-line wasn't exactly hot, right? So we have the trenches that it takes to beat these guys in the biggest game. And yeah. that's really what matters. No, Chase, I agree. And I think when you look at that, that's what this game's going to come down to. Like, it's, it's it, not to oversimplify things here, but I think this is, it's really that simple. Like, it's going to come down to the Chiefs' offensive line and whether they can block up the Eagles' defensive line or not. Because if they can't, like, it's not going to matter how great Patrick Mahomes is. Like, if he doesn't have time to throw the football, if he doesn't have time to make plays, if Hassam Reddick and Jalen Hargrave and, and, and uh, Josh Sweat are all over him, it's not really going to matter. So I think it really does come down to that. And and if the Eagles can get the kind of pressure and wreak the kind of havoc that they have the last two weeks, you know, as great as Mahomes is, I don't think it's going to matter. Exactly. And you know what? To complement that, right, you know, the D-line has to get home, but we have Slay, we have Bradbury, Maddox is back, CJ GJ is back. We have the backside to lock up what is really, you know – not a, exactly the greatest Chiefs, you know, wide receiver core. You know, I think we all know that Travis Kelsey is special. We all know that. But that's one weapon. You know, I, I don't even know if Juju's going to play. You know, what is Marquez Valdez-Scantling? I'm not sure. You know, we don't even know. So, right, so if we can bottle them up on the back and let that D-line get home, the, the trenches, and it's so, it's pretty cliche, right? And But it's so true. Right. It's just so true. No, it is, Chase, and I appreciate the call. And, yeah, I mean, this is – and I'll say this about the Chiefs offense. Like, aside from Travis Kelsey, their weapons are not that great. I mean, you're talking about Juju Smith-Schuster, who I think is kind of overrated. I, I think, you know, his best years might be behind him. Miko Hardman's probably not playing in this game. Andy said it's going to be an uphill battle for him to play, and he's inconsistent at best. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is a guy who who's hot and cold. And, like, the Chiefs have made it through this year, and I give credit to them for, you know, not making a panic move and just giving Tyreek Hill whatever he wanted. They, you know, knew that signing a receiver to that kind of a deal wasn't going to be something that was going to be smart for them. But I will say this is the game where I think they start to miss Tyreek Hill. Like they have it hasn't been shown a lot yet this year. But this is the kind of game when you know you're going to have limited time to throw the football, you're going to need to get big plays somehow. This is the first game where I think the Chiefs really start to miss Tyreek Hill because if the Eagles can take Travis Kelsey away, the other weapons just just aren't that great. I mean, Pacheco, I like him. He's he's an, a nice running back, but they don't have weapons on the outside that really scare you, especially against Bradbury and Slay. I think the Chiefs are going to be looking to, you know, obviously feature Kelsey a lot, get the ball to their backs. But 
Weapons-wise, this is not a team that, that really scares you a whole lot. 215-592-9494. Let's go to uh, Paul in the Northeast. What's up, Paul? Hey, how you doing, man? Good. How are you? Good, good. Listen, I'm going to say this, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no way I'm afraid of the Chiefs. You know why? Just like the points that you just made before you put me on, and just like the last guy, listen, we got the most locked down D in the league. The Kansas City Chiefs, even though they have Patrick Mahomes, that's the only just Patrick. Just like everybody else that you said, all the by skill guys on defense is gonna lock them down. There is no way they could come they can they can do anything with us. At all. Period. So 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 uh, like what what the national guys say they said that um what what we just two and a half man we can win by ten to twelve. Easy. Well, yeah, I mean, I, Paul, I think I think there's certainly a chance that happens. Now, you know, the Eagles, I think, need to take care of business on the trenches. Like that's where this game's going to come down to. Oh, but if well, the Eagles, well, if the Eagles dominate up front, then yeah, I think they have a real good chance to okay, win this game oh, handily. Oh, oh. All right, TK, listen, listen. So then, that's what our our D who who's better on D line Eagles versus. Kansas City O line, who's better? I think the Eagles defensive line's better. Okay. So then we go to the O line for Kansas City to the D to the D line. Right. Yeah, it, no it's, 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 it's a win win. No we, doubt about no doubt about it, Paul, and I appreciate it. Yeah, the Eagles are better up front. Like the Eagles are are better up front, and if they dominate the line of scrimmage the way they've dominated the last two weeks. They should win this game, and I think there's a reason why the Eagles are are a favorite. I honestly think they should probably be favored by a little more. I think it's at one and a half right now. I think the Eagles should probably be like three, three and a half point favorites, and the game this reminds me of uh, is that Tampa Bay game two years ago. Now, we don't know. Like, the Chiefs offensive line, as Ray mentioned, was in a, a worse spot at that time than it is now. Like, they were without Eric Fisher for that game, their top tackle, and that ended up being a situation that really cost them in that game against Tampa Bay. But, I mean, we've seen the last two weeks, and especially last week, the Eagles defensive line go against that San Francisco offensive line. It's a pretty good offensive line for the 49ers. And the Eagles defense didn't have any problem getting home and getting pressure. Uh, part of that is Kyle Shanahan. I'm not sure about the strategy of blocking Hassan Reddick with a backup tight end. I'm not really sure what he was thinking there. But... Yeah, I mean, that's in large part what this game is going to come down to. And if the Eagles can get pressure and they can make Patrick Mahomes uncomfortable, this could be a very long day for that Chiefs offense. Let's go to Dennis in Springfield. What's up, Dennis? Yo, uh, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Good evening, Tom. Uh, always like talking to you. And uh, uh, you mentioned earlier tonight how, how the Eagles have positioned themselves. And, and it's, a, uh, it's a Howie Roseman. It's a, it's a Jeff Lurie production. And to me, the biggest thing they did, and not to bring Dallas into it or whatever, but they were willing to say, you know what? We screwed up with Carson Wentz. We screwed up. We're going to eat that contract. We're going to move on, and we're going to try to have, and we're going to try to figure out a way to deal with it and to move on. 
and, and, and in my opinion, Dallas should have ate Dak Prescott's contract three, four years ago. And, and, they, and, and they should have moved on. Well, Dennis, I, I would disagree with that. Like, I don't think Dak is at the point Carson Wentz was. I mean, I still think Dak can play. I think Dak's very inconsistent. He makes mistakes in big spots. But I do think, I mean, you're you're right in, in the regard of the Eagles. In the end, like, they swallowed their pride and admitted they were wrong with Wentz. And that's something not a lot of organizations will be willing to do. And as much as you think, you know, I mean, maybe Dak's really good. I, I don't know. But when when you sign a quarterback like like they did with Wentz to what a hundred and ten hundred and twenty million dollar contract, and, and you have enough guts or gumption or, or or whatever it is to say you know what we screwed up, and and we're going to have to let this guy go. I mean, no, nobody knew Jalen Hurts was going to be what he is right now, but but they were willing to take that chance. And to me, I mean that's to me that, that that's unbelievable that they were they were a I mean they drafted them to be basically a backup, but once they saw what they had, they were like, man, oh man, how, how do we eat that contract? Yeah, that, that 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 was not easy to do. No, Dennis, no doubt about it, and I appreciate the call. And again, like that that that's the point here. Like that is part of what makes the Eagles such a a good organization, and what separates them from others. Because very few organizations would be willing to do what the Eagles did, just just from a a public sentiment standpoint. Like them trading Carson Wentz and admitting that that thing wasn't going to work. That was at the time that was a huge concession. Of like, yeah, we screwed this up. Like that was a, a something that that they were mocked for, and rightfully so. Like when you give a quarterback the kind of contract they gave Carson, and what I mean, two years later, you are you know completely just doing anything to let him go. Where I mean, they did get a first round pick in return. I, I don't know how they were able to get that, but the fact that you're unloading that kind of salary, the fact that you're taking that kind of dead cap hit, that was a huge public loss for the Eagles. But that's why Jeffrey Lurie's such a good owner. That's why Howie's such a good GM. And that's why the confidence that Jeff has in Howie and the you know support that he has for Howie's so important. They're not worried about public perception. They're not worried about doing something that's unpopular. Howie's not worried about making a move like that because he's not worried uh, about his job being at risk. And that's why I think in this league you see so many teams and so many general managers making bad decisions. You're seeing it right now in Denver. Like, you're seeing the difference between a good organization and a bad organization. The Broncos made a mistake with Russell Wilson. They made a mistake with Nathaniel Hackett. And instead of just acknowledging, okay, we screwed this up, you know, we'll either get rid of Wilson now or we'll ride it out for another year when it's more palatable and move on – no, they're going to try to salvage it, so they're going to go out and they're going to trade, you know, picks to acquire Sean Payton. Like, what does Sean Payton's resume look like over the last decade that would lead you to go and do that? Like, yeah, he's had some good teams in New Orleans. They haven't won a championship since, when, when was that, 2009? They won the Super Bowl? I think I heard Joe mention it last night. Like, you put Sean Payton's resume next to Mike McCarthy's resume, they're really not that not that different. 
And the Denver Broncos and John Elway, instead of moving on and admitting we made a mistake, they double and triple down. That's what bad organizations do. And that's how you get yourself into trouble. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. But I did want to mention this because the Eagles, this, this came out um, early on Friday evening. And this is pretty big news as I see it. The Eagles retain one of their coaches. It is not one of the coordinators. Jonathan Gannon, Shane Steichen still in the mix uh, for head coaching jobs. Colts and Cardinals still have vacancies to fill. We know they are both in play for the Cardinals job. Steichen, we know, is in play for the Colts job as well. But the Eagles retain Jeff Stoutland, who was uh, getting looks for offensive coordinator spots elsewhere. Instead, he's going to stay here as the offensive line coach. And Jeff Stoutland, he's gotten credit over the years, but, I mean, this might be the unsung hero of this organization, the unsung hero, certainly, of this coaching staff. And we got a rare Jeff Stoutland interview after the game on Sunday as, you know, everybody's being interviewed down on the field, and Merrill was down there interviewing Jeff Stoutland. Here was Stoutland after the game, you know, just talking about the Eagles' offensive line and, and, and the job that they have done. Change, you got to improvise. And our group does a great, a great job of, of that, you know, on the sideline here, making adjustments as the game's flown. People are trying to do different things to our guys, and we're on it. Kelsey and, and Isaac, and those guys really run the show up front, and it's awesome. And this guy's a constant. I mean, since he's gotten here in 2013, and I'll give, I'll say this, Tucker, and, and I hate to do this, the best thing Chip Kelly did for Philadelphia was hire Jeff Stoutland. I think we can – most of us can agree on that. Like, that was a damn good hire by by Chip. Yeah, I mean, the Eagles have had consistently great offensive lines over the last decade, and it's because of Jeff Stoutland. I mean, you look at what they have on their offensive line, and I know that we look at it and say, well, they have, you know, four Pro Bowlers, one Pro Bowl alternate, two guys who are first-team All-Pro. But outside of Lane Johnson, I mean, Jason Kelsey was a sixth-round pick. Jordan Mailato was a seventh-round pick who had never even played – Organized football, Landon Dickerson was a second-round pick with injury concerns. And Isaac Samalo was a mid-round pick himself. I mean, you look at the Eagles, and they're consistently getting great offensive line play from guys who weren't necessarily blue-chip talent. And compare that to other teams, even just around the division. I mean, the Giants waste about a top-15 pick on an offensive tackle every other year. And the guy's out of football within four years. I mean, I know that, that he had injury concerns. But how did Landon Dickerson fall to the second round? Like, just watching this guy, he blows people off the ball every single play. Like, Milady, you kind of get it. He was a project. Landon Dickerson was an accomplished player, and he's an absolute monster. He's he's already probably one of the best guards in football. It's yeah, insane. I thought he was an absolute snub for All-Pro. And Joe Tooney, the left guard for Kansas City, I would say those two guys, in my mind, are the top two left guards in football right now. I mean, I watch, I'm just uh, watching the game – on Sunday, and you have to watch it back, but, like, when Milada and Dickerson are double-teaming somebody, I don't care what defensive tackle or defensive end it is in the league. Like, you just don't have a chance. You're going to get crushed by those two guys. It's just incredible. And and the great thing about Stoutland, too, and he's done a tremendous job with this offensive line, but he, he's so resistant to take the credit. Here was more um, when Mike Quick asked him about, you know, uh, the, the credit that, that he deserves for the way this offensive line is played. Well, listen, you're giving them too much credit. It's Jeff Stoutland no, University. No, no. You're, you're that guy. <laughs> no, no. Coach. Coach. said that in the thing. And now that, I, I'm just telling you, the players, are, it, the effort of the players equal results. And those guys, they believe in me. They trust me. And as you know, that's half the battle. 
And it's huge. I mean, it's huge to have that kind of continuity. And I do think that that's played into it. And that's why, you know, they always seem to be on the same page. And why Jason Kelsey and 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 the show that, that they run up front is always so well synchronized. Because you, got, you have a coach that's been there so long. Because you have players who are so used to, to the way that things run. And it, it's been really special to watch. And here was one more from Statlin talking about Kelsey and, and really who's the key to that offensive line. Kelsey and Isaac are the two brains behind the Those two guys, they do so much up front to help the team, the other guys, uh, put them in good positions and stuff like that. So uh, just a great group. To, I mean, it's unbelievable to coach these guys. And, you know, I'll tell you what, man. I saw Brian Baldinger did a, a video on this, um, and Baldy does great videos uh, to, to highlight offensive line play. But he did one a couple weeks ago. Like, that Isaac Sayamalu is just underrated? And, and think about this. Like, he's clearly – and I don't use this term in a derogatory way, but you'd probably say he's the worst offensive lineman in the starting lineup. And worst is kind of, you know, an unfair word to use because he's pretty damn good. But, like, this is a guy that's underrated. And when you hear the players talk about him, you hear Stoutland talk about him there, you know, he's a, a, a guy that is is a big part of the brains behind the operation. And, I mean, there is no weak link. There's no weak link up front. Part of it comes down to how Jeff Stoutland has them prepared, and this organization uh, has done a tremendous job up front. That's why they're that, that's why they're here. That's why they're contenders every single season is because they're great on the offensive lines. Jeff Stoutland's been a huge part of that, and really big news for the Eagles to be able to retain him, get Stoutland back, um, and uh, not lose him. And a great job by Jeffrey Lurie, who I'm sure you know, gave Stoutland a little bit of a pay raise to, to stay in Philadelphia rather than take an OC job somewhere else. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. want to continue talking to Eagles with you, um, and uh, obviously we'll look ahead to Super Bowl 57. But when we get back, I did want to give you a brief recap of the Sixers game and talk about the big story in the NBA on Friday because – the the player at the heart of this issue, I think, has solidified himself as the biggest loser in all of sports. So we'll get to this when we return. I'm Tom Kelly with you till two. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. If you want to get in, open lines right now, 215-592-9494. Talking a lot, obviously, about the Eagles, but I did want to switch for a second over to the Sixers, give you a recap on what happened tonight down in San Antonio, uh, where a lot of Sixers fans down there, it was the rights to Ricky Sanchez road trip that our own uh, Michael Angelino was on. We, we might hear from Mike uh, a little later on in the show. I'm not sure um, what their status is down there in San Antonio, but I did see they had a big photo op with Coach Brett Brown down there. Uh, is Brett, So Brett's on San Antonio's staff now, correct? Yeah, I think he's back to pretty much what he was before he came here Okay, 10 years ago. Well, it looks like I saw a nice photo of uh, Spike and Brett Brown, so they seem to be getting along well. And uh, uh, the Sixers got the win. Sixers beat the Spurs 137-125 down in San, down in San Antonio and, uh, and beat 33 points. Tyrese Maxey, 25 off the bench. And I, I brought this up last night. I'm getting closer to buying in on the Sixers. I'm getting closer. And I think a lot of it has to do with what we see in the next week. Obviously, trade deadline coming up here. 
NBA trade deadline uh, really flying under the radar. I guess that's what happens when you have a team in the Super Bowl and not the same kind of storylines as there were last year when they were trying to unload Ben Simmons. Um, but the Sixers get a big win. They're now 33-17, and 17, uh, continue to play uh, really, really well over the last couple months here and get a win for all those Sixers fans down in San Antonio. So if you want to get on the Sixers, 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494. But the big news in the NBA on Friday, and I, I, I honestly, I saw it on Friday afternoon, and I just started laughing. Because it's just so hilarious at this point how spectacularly this Brooklyn Nets experiment has blown up in every single way possible. But Kyrie Irving, Shams Tarania tweets this out, that Kyrie Irving is now demanding a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. And truly unbelievable. Here was Shams on the Pat McAfee show uh, earlier on this afternoon kind of explaining everything and how all this went down in Brooklyn. This is really stunning. When you think about what's happened over the last year uh, with Kyrie Irving in the Nets, it doesn't really surprise why it might have might have gotten here, right? You think about the summer. We talked about Kyrie Irving last season, all year, the vaccine situation that was going on between him and the Nets, him having to stay away from the team, then they bring him back. And then over the summer, they have a contract dispute, are not able to come to an agreement. He opts in, plays out the year, uh, tweets out an, a link to a movie, uh, with anti-Semitic uh, material in it. Uh, it gets picked up. The owner uh, t- tweets about it, uh, shoots it down. He gets suspended after that. He serves an eight-game suspension. And then he comes back, Pat, the last two months of this season. Uh, he's averaged almost 30 points a game, uh, seven, six, seven assists, five rebounds. He's showing again why he's that dude, right? And he's the all-star game starter in the Eastern Conference, so he's back. And what's happened in the last week or so is I'm told they've had contract extension negotiations um and what i'm told a contract extension was offered to irving uh that had some stipulations in it uh and i'm told his side was vehemently against any stipulations in an extension he believes that he deserved uh, you know a fully guaranteed contract he, he you know he feels like um you know a, a player of his caliber did not deserve or, or should have stipulations in that deal um and so when you think about everything that happened last summer you think about this year um, there's clearly a principal difference between Irving and the Nets. Um, and it, whatever his principles are, whatever the Nets principles are, they just clearly do not align. And I think this is groundbreaking news for the NBA six days before the deadline because Kyrie Irving is one of the best players in the league on one of the best teams in the league. The Nets have gone from outside of the playoff picture, struggled to start the year under 500. Then they go and win 18 of 20 games. Then KD gets hurt, but they're still treading water. This is a team that's battling for home, home court advantage. They're competing for a championship. And now their best player has demanded a trade, is expecting to be traded before the trade deadline. Um, otherwise, he will leave in free agency. And it's just, it's, it's astonishing when you hear Shams report that kind of stuff and you think about what, what alternative reality, what world must Kyrie Irving be living in where he thinks he just deserves a max contract fully guaranteed when he's basically been a part-time player for three years now. And you hear it right there. It's been controversy after controversy, you know, the vaccine thing, and then he tweets out the the anti-Semitic stuff that he tweeted out earlier this year. I mean, the fact he shouldn't have even been allowed back after that, and he was because he's Kyrie Irving. But it's it's controversy after controversy. It's distraction after distraction. 
And this guy, he's just the biggest loser in the history of sports. He's the most selfish athlete I can remember, the most out-of-touch athlete that I can remember. And I want to throw this out to the audience tonight. Who are some of the, the most unlikable athletes of all time? Because I don't understand how anybody can like Kyrie Irving anymore. Like, I just don't, I don't get it. The guy is clearly a jerk. The guy is clearly somebody who just thinks he's a hell of a lot smarter than he actually is. Kind of seems, you know, just so self-absorbed and like he's living in his own world. It's it's crazy. And he's ruined a legacy. Like, this guy should have a legacy that starts with, yeah, he hit arguably the biggest shot in NBA history. Like, when the Cavaliers beat the Warriors that year, he hit that three to put the Cavs in front. That was one of the biggest upsets in the history of the league that, you know, didn't end the Warriors dynasty, but certainly facilitated them going out and getting Kevin Durant. I mean, that was one of the biggest shots in the history of the league. And Kyrie's not going to be remembered for that. That's going to be a footnote to all the crap that he's done. And all the stuff that he has done to make people dislike him and and all the stuff that he has done to ruin the teams that he's been on. I mean, first with the Cavaliers, he, you know, blows up what was a good situation there with LeBron. Then he goes to Boston. From all reports, he's a nightmare there to deal with. Says he's going to return before the season and then, you know, blows that team up. And he has single-handedly ruined this entire thing with the Brooklyn Nets. Like, they went out and everybody thought... When they got James Harden to pair with Kyrie and Kevin Durant, I mean, they were going to be unstoppable. And and I have no doubts that if if Kyrie had just done what he was supposed to do and and stopped, you know, being selfish and play for the team, that team would have stayed together and they would have won championships. He was the one who broke that thing apart. And he's just such a, a loser and he's such a liar. Like, that's the one thing I hate about Kyrie Irving is he is such a self-absorbed liar, and he just makes things up, essentially, and, you know, lives in his own world. And here was Kyrie Irving, and this is the guy, same guy who requested a trade today with a team that's in title contention. Like, this, this Brooklyn Nets team, it's not like they're having a disastrous season. They're, what, the fourth seed in the East right now. They have a legitimate chance, once they get Kevin Durant back, to go on a run. Here was Kyrie Irving 19 days ago talking about what's changed and why this Brooklyn team is more of a contender than past years. What can you take from the way things kind of fell off the wheels last season to kind of maybe ensure that it doesn't happen this time around? Uh, well, I'm consistently in a lineup that helps. Uh, we also don't have halfway in or halfway in anybody in the locker room. Um, and there's just a, a primary focus on the big picture here. Uh, these are warm-up games for the big performance that come in, uh, you know, late in uh, April. So just got to enjoy them and, and smile at uh, sometimes uh, how you lose and, and just be able to pick yourself back up. I mean, I'm doing the best job I can. I wish I could make a few more shots. Um, within the minutes and, and be efficient. Um, I know that'll come, and I'll continue to prepare the best way I know how and uh, just continue to be a better example for the guys in the locker room. Like, this is the guy who's all in for the team? This is the guy that's the, the that's, that's not halfway in? 19 days ago, he's saying this stuff, and let's face it, that was a veiled shot. At, and not, It wasn't even a veiled shot. It was a shot at James Harden. That's what he was trying to do, basically saying Harden was halfway in last year, and he was. But this is why I understood, and this is why I didn't, see the similarities between the Harden situation and the Ben Simmons situation. Because if I was James Harden, I wouldn't have wanted to be in Brooklyn 
either. Like, I wouldn't have wanted to be there with Kyrie, and you never know what he's going to do. You never He's going to show up to work when he shows up to work, and, and when he doesn't feel like it, he's not going to go. And what bothers me more than anything is, like, the people who would defend him and say, oh, well, this is the player empowerment era, and Kyrie's, a, you know, he's just taking a stand for what he believes in and, and, and his personal well-being. That's all BS. The guy's a self-absorbed loser. That's all he is. He's the most selfish athlete I've ever seen. And I'm, I'm Tucker, am I wrong on this? Like, is this incredible that after all that he's put that organization through, that he has the nerve to request a trade? He basically, you know, got Steve Nash run out of town, ran James Harden out of Brooklyn. I mean, I don't know how Kevin Durant can even stand the sight of him anymore. Uh, how do, can you have the nerve after you've done this to then request a trade days before the trade deadline? Yeah, I just, I think he lives in his own world. You know, I, I think Kyrie Irving's a tremendous basketball player. I said earlier to Joe, I think he might be the best at-rim finisher I've ever seen. I mean, his ability to get to the rim, if I had to pick any NBA player in the world right now and you said you have five seconds, go get a bucket, I would give the ball to Kyrie Irving. I, I think he's that great. And that's special of a talent, but everything else that goes around off the court and whether or not he thinks he's right or whatever just doesn't contribute to winning basketball. And if you're a team like the Philadelphia 76ers or the Brooklyn Nets and you're just trying to win championships, it doesn't help. I just, I don't know, maybe he goes to L.A. and LeBron and him can figure things out. And LeBron's the only one who's really been able to to keep him kind of in line on the basketball court for more than a couple months based on what we've seen from him in Boston and now in Brooklyn. But I just, I don't know if I was a general manager and Sean Marks came calling and said, Hey, Kyrie Irving's available. What do you want? I would say no thanks and hang up. Cause I just don't know if you can count on him. Cause even if he plays well and he's been playing really well this year, what's stopping him from doing this again, come playoff time. What are the second round of the playoffs? He decides, you know what? I'm out. I want to go enjoy my summer. See you later. Right. I don't know how anybody could be interested in Kyrie Irving at this point. And if you want to get into one five five nine two nine four nine four, and there are a couple teams that were mentioned, uh, the Lakers, but they're all teams that are just so desperate. They really have no other choice. Like it's the Lakers, it's the Suns, who are, the Suns were pretty much ruined by that loss to the Mavericks in the playoffs last year, and then the Mavs, and maybe that's just okay. Well, if we partner Kyrie and Luca together. You know, hopefully we can keep Kyrie in line for four months, which, yeah, good luck with that. And that him and Luca are just going to be so incredible and so impossible to guard that we can make a run through the West here. But that's been the hilarious part of all this is you see the reporting post Kyrie, you know, requesting a trade. And teams aren't calling the Nets asking about Kyrie. They're asking about, well, what does this do to Kevin Durant? Like, this, does this put Kevin Durant back on the table? And that's where I think the Sixers come in. And I think it's extremely unlikely. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but it does open an opportunity. And if I'm Daryl Morey, and I know people love Tyrese Maxey, I am offering anything except Joel Embiid. I don't care what picks. I don't care what players. Your window is now. And I'm go- I'm not touching Kyrie. I'm not going anywhere near Kyrie. I would not, I would not want him for, for any return because he's just toxic. But if you can get Kevin Durant, if Kevin Durant is now on the table and going to be traded, and I've got to assume that's in play. Like, I can't assume that Kevin Durant's going to want to stay in Brooklyn now 
to just what, what play with Ben? Yeah, that doesn't doesn't seem like something that's going to appeal to to KD who who wants to win. Um, but yeah, if I'm Daryl Morey, I'm calling the Nets and I'm offering everything I have of value. Maxi, Harris, whatever picks you need. You know, they I'm not I'm assuming they wouldn't want James Harden in return. But if you could give whatever you needed up and you could take a shot this year and say, we're going to go with Joel Embiid, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and we'll fill in around them and we will take a shot at winning the title this year. That's what you got to do. That's absolutely what you got to do. So, uh, I mean, I want to get people's thoughts on it. Would you be interested in Kyrie? I'll throw it out there. I would not. I would not go anywhere near him. But if this opens any sort of possibility for Kevin Durant to be on the table, and we know Kevin Durant was entertaining requesting a trade in the offseason. This is where Kyrie really screwed Durant as well, where you know Kyrie basically says, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stay in Brooklyn, and then Kevin Durant signs an extension. Kevin Durant's not going to be happy now. Like He's going to want out, um, and if you can get him, I'm offering anything. I don't care what it is. Uh, I'm going after Kevin Durant, and that'll be interesting to watch in the coming days. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Friday night. When we get back, uh, a report from Eagles practice. One good, one piece of good news, one piece of uh, concerning news that we'll talk about when we return. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WYP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Friday night. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. A little switch in the schedule next week. I'll be on 10 to 2 Monday night, uh, and Jody will be on 10 to 2 Friday night. So Jody and I pulling off the little uh, switcheroo next week, a little change of schedule. Uh, Jody will be on this shift. I'll be on Monday. So uh, just to, so everybody can update their calendars uh, moving forward here. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Uh, but obviously talking a lot about the Eagles, and uh, we'll kind of reset what we've been talking about here regarding them and Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman. And this, in my mind, being the gold standard of the NFL these days. I think that's where the Eagles have become. Uh, that's what they've become, considering how quickly they've turned this thing around and how they operate, uh, and we'll get back to that in the next segment. Also, uh, you want to give me your most selfish athletes of all time. I'd love to get those from you as well, considering what Kyrie Irving is doing in Brooklyn right now. It's just – it's inexcusable, and I just – it's it's funny, like it, it's objectively funny seeing Ben Simmons go to Brooklyn now, and they're going to be left with Ben and nothing else, which is basically nothing. Like you're gonna you're you're gonna be in a pretty brutal spot moving forward for Brooklyn, and it's got to be one of the biggest failures in the history of sports, considering what we thought that organization was going to be, what we thought that dynasty was gonna was gonna be, um, just an an absolute failure, absolute disaster. Uh, and pretty incredible the way it's all fallen apart. And in my mind, it's 100% on Kyrie Irving. If Kyrie would have done his job, if Kyrie would have, you know, committed to that thing, I think they would have won championships. Um, but, you know, he drove hard in a way. Uh, he has been headache after headache for the Nets, and uh, now he's he's leaving them high and dry in the midst of a playoff race. So uh, pretty disastrous for the Brooklyn Nets with Kyrie Irving requesting a trade. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. But I did want to um, 
mention a, a couple interesting notes from Eagles practice on Friday or on Friday. Yeah, one good, one bad. Now, the the one that is a positive sign and not something we've really had to worry about so far in the postseason. And let's face it, if this is something we need to see a lot in the play in the Super Bowl, it, it means things aren't going great. But Aaron Sipos returned to practice on Friday. So that's the good news because I don't know if what you thought of the work of Brett Kern-Tucker. Not very good last week. I know the one punt hit the wire. That was unfortunate. But he's done a pretty uh, – uh, uh, he's been very underwhelming since arriving. I think there's a reason why Brett Kern was unemployed through December. I know Pat McAfee vouched for him and everyone was so excited because he was an all-pro like five years ago. Brett Kern absolutely stunk. He's got a good punter name. Like, he sounds like a punter. Brett and he's Kern. built like a punter. Like, he looks yeah. like a great punter. He's tall. He's lanky. and Number 13, a very punter number. I it looks say. weird, right? I always think, like, punters with numbers in the teens always look look weird to me. Yeah. Like, I, a punter I, should be, like, number four. Yeah. There there you go. I mean, number four is taken by Jake Elliott here, but I get what you're That's true. Is. I mean, classic special teams number. But, Tom, if you remember back to the last time the Eagles lost the Super Bowl in 2005, I think Dirk Johnson and their inability to punt really kind of flipped that game in the first half. Yeah, no, it's a factor. And, I mean, the Eagles, these these games have been so lopsided you haven't had to worry about it. But getting Sipos back would be a nice addition. Now, the concerning note, and the, the, the good news is apparently this is being viewed right now as precautionary, but Avante Maddox misses practice and is on the sidelines in a walking boot. Now, I don't know, like, I'll take the, the Eagles at their word here. They say it's precautionary. They say it's nothing to worry about. I hope that's the truth. But you just really hope he didn't aggravate something in that 49er game because Avante Maddox is going to be extremely important, as we talked about earlier. The Chiefs' weapons offensively, they're not great, especially on the outside. The one thing that they do have is a really damn good tight end. And you would think in covering Travis Kelsey, a lot of that's going to fall on Avante Maddox. And I don't know, if Avante Maddox misses this game – that could be a significant loss for the Eagles. Yeah, and it's worrisome because even if he does go out and maybe he's you know only 70% to, to start the Super Bowl and they decide to start the game with him, if he comes out the way they've been working and C.J. Gardner-Johnson's been in the slot and Reed Blankenship is coming in at safety, that's a lot of pieces to kind of shuffle around mid-game. And I don't know if they want to go back to just having Josiah Scott fill in that hole. Because once again, you go back to the last Super Bowl the Eagles played, they got torched by Rob Gronkowski because they kept getting Corey Graham stuck on him. I'll tell you what, of all the moments in that game, and obviously, you know, when the Patriots take 33-32 lead, we were, I'd say, as a collective fan base, pretty scared at that point. The The scariest moment of that game to me was coming out of halftime when the Patriots just went down the field on that first drive, and every play it was just Gronk, Gronk, Gronk and they made it 22-19, I'm like, we're just not going to be able to defend this guy. You know, since that game, the Eagles have given up to uh, given a tight end a 100-yard game just once. Is that right? It's been five seasons. They, I think TJ Hawkinson had a big game against them against Detroit okay. a couple years ago. I was worried you were going to say it was Travis Kelsey. No, Kelsey actually, when they played last year, he had four catches for 23 yards. Now, they also put up like 38 points. And Tyree Kill went And Tyree Kill went off, and they didn't really need to get him involved, but... The Eagles have done really well against opposing tight ends for for quite a while now. Yeah, and that's going to be a key. I mean, if the Eagles can shut Kelsey down, 
I, I mean, the Chiefs, this isn't the Chiefs of Tyreek Hill and those other weapons. They don't have great receivers. Um, and if the Eagles can shut uh, Travis Kelsey down, I think they're going to be in good shape. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Reset what we've been talking about when we return. Also, um, a couple national analysts, former players, had some things to say about the Eagles and the fact that they haven't been tested yet. Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit when we return. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Friday night. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Um, Obviously talking a a lot about the Eagles tonight uh, as they head into Super Bowl 57. They will depart, I believe, on Sunday. And then next Sunday, obviously, the big game, uh, Glendale, Arizona. And just looking back, you know, one of the big things and one of the things that I just keep coming back to is what a turnaround it's been for this team over the last 24 months. When you're coming out of that 2020 season, how disastrous things seemed following the Carson Wentz situation. And, you know, you're firing Doug Peterson. You hire Nick Sirianni. That's a very questionable hire. Yet, you know, it's all worked out for the Eagles. And in my mind, I think they have become the gold standard of the NFL. Like Joe Banner said all those years ago, they were the gold standard. They weren't. I mean, it was the New England Patriots. But now I think this is the organization that teams are going to look to model themselves after. And if you want to get in, 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494. And more than anything, it's because of the way they're op- they operate. It's because they're not afraid to zig when others zag. They're not afraid to do things unconventionally. And take risks. And here, here was Howie Rosen talking about it during the offseason and talking about how this team views this league and how they feel like they need to operate if they're going to be different and going to be more successful. It's hard to be that last team stand. You need so many things to go right. And so if you just do things that are down the middle, the way the league kind of sets this up, yeah, you may win 10 games. You, you may make the playoffs. But it's hard to be world champions. It's hard for the confetti to fall on your head when you do things like that. So you have to be willing to at least be out of the box, put yourself out there. And um, if you do that, yeah, there's some risk involved in that. But there's also tremendous upside. And, you know, that's what you got to be willing to do. And that's what so many organizations are not willing to do. Like moving on from Carson Wentz after 2020. That was a public admission of we were wrong. Like that was the Eagles saying, we were wrong. We made a mistake by, by signing him to this deal. And many organizations would say, okay, well, we're going to stick with him for another year. We're going to see if it gets any better. Eagles knew it wasn't going to get any better. Like, they knew we need to get rid of Wentz. As much as we love Doug, and I do believe they love, love Doug, they knew they needed to get rid of him. They needed to start fresh. A lot of organizations aren't willing to do that. Here was more from Howie on, you know, the need to take risks if you're going to be successful in this league. If we're going to be the same as everyone else, we're probably going to finish in the middle of the pack. And sometimes you got to take risks and you got to kind of stand out there and do something different than everyone else. And so if you're doing the same thing that everyone else is doing, you're probably, you know, a step late. And they're unafraid to do things like that. They're unafraid to do things unconventionally. They're not afraid to think outside the box. And the big reason why they're able to do this and why Howie is able to do what he's able to do is because of how much Jeffrey Lurie empowers him and because of the unwavering support that Jeffrey Lurie has. And here was Lurie during the offseason after giving Howie a long-term extension, another long-term extension, on why he didn't feel that was a difficult decision. 
Howie deserves a lot of credit. We've uh, obviously over the last five years, we've you know been in the playoffs for the five years and won a Super Bowl. He's he's really good at building a roster, uh, rebuilding a roster. He's uh, he's very very well regarded in uh, in the league, and uh, that was you know that's it's it's always a, a hard decision to take every single instance and evaluate it, and it was a pretty easy decision to make when it came to really looking at the facts. And you know that's big looking at the facts, and there was all that that talk and all the you know calls after 2020. I remember, I mean hearing a lot of talking to a lot of callers out there, a lot of people uh, who not just callers, hosts, other people in media who thought how he deserved to be fired. And that would have been a very easy thing for Jeffrey Lurie to do. But it's what separates this organization is that they don't make the easy decision. They make the right decision. You look at what the Denver Broncos just did. They made an easy decision, like going out and getting Sean Payton. That's a decision that's going to get them a lot of, you know, credit right now. Like they're going to get lauded by a lot of people right now going out and getting Sean Payton to fix Russell Wilson. It's not going to fix Russell Wilson. Like that, that's not going to work. That's not the right move. What the Broncos should have done is, you know, admitted we made a mistake, either get rid of Wilson or look to rebuild in other ways while you need to hold on to him. Instead, they're just doubling down. The Eagles don't double down on their mistakes. They've learned their lessons from the past, and that's why I feel like now they're really set up to have a sustainable future. They're really set up to be an organization that's not just going to be successful this year, but is going to be successful moving forward, and it's because of the way they operate. It's because of that relationship between Jeffrey and Howie. I think they're the best owner-general-manager combination in the league, and the way Lurie empowers Howie is the key to all of it. Like, you need a general manager who doesn't look over his shoulder all the time. You need a general manager who's not fearing for his job. And people might say that's Howie not being held accountable, but that's the way you need to do it, to allow Howie to take the risks and take those chances that he needs to take, as he talked about. You need to take risks. General managers, people in front office positions, are much less likely to take those kind of risks if they're so worried about being fired for making a decision that's incorrect. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. What's your thoughts on that? Do you believe the Eagles are the gold standard of the NFL? And do you think they're the team that people are going to model themselves after moving forward? I do. So if you want to get on that, you're welcome to. Also, we're talking about most selfish athletes tonight in sports because what Kyrie Irving is doing right now in Brooklyn is astonishing to me. With all the issues he has caused there, he's been a disaster since he got there. It's controversy after controversy. It's headache after headache. And just as a human being, like, to have the nerve, after all the crap you've put that organization through over the last three years, to request a trade, because they're putting stipulations on in your contract, essentially that they want you to come to work, that they want you to do everything you can to win a championship, and now he's going to request a trade right before the deadline for a team that's very much in the mix right now. Like, once the Nets get Kevin Durant back, they're going to be able a team that you would think is is a contender for a championship. It's the most selfish thing I've ever seen. And this guy's legacy is not of making one of the biggest shots in NBA history as it could be. Uh, he He's a joke. He's a loser. 
He's one of the biggest losers I've ever seen in sports. And as far as a trade, I wouldn't want to touch him. Um, I will say this, though. If this does uh, make Kevin Durant available, oh, yeah, I'm calling about Kevin Durant. Daryl Morey should should have been on the phone uh, today inquiring. Just see what it could possibly cost uh, to get Kevin Durant. Because if you're the Sixers, you try to make that move if you can. And you pair Durant with Harden and Embiid. I don't care if you have to gut the rest of that roster. It doesn't matter. If you can get Kevin Durant, you go get Kevin Durant. And now I think the likelihood of him being dealt by the trade deadline substantially increases after Kyrie's trade demand. He's not going to want to stay there. You think Kevin Durant's going to want to stay there? What? What's he going to do? Play out the rest of the season with Ben? You think that's going to going to be something Kevin Durant's going to be happy doing? No. I mean, the Nets are going to look to blow it up. Sixers should certainly look to capitalize on this situation if they can. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Let's go back to the phones. Go to Steve. What's up, Steve? Hey. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. So all I wanted to say was everyone's worried about, oh, yeah, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid. No. We have the best defensive line and the best offensive line in football. We're going to win the trenches, and they can't stop the run. We just played the number one defense, and we smoked them. So all these people that are worried, no, it doesn't matter how good their quarterback is. They don't. All they have is Travis Kelsey. So at the end of the day, we have the best defensive line, and our secondary is unstoppable. So... I don't understand why well, these people I, are... I'd agree with a lot of that, Steve, but, I mean, let, let's not just say, uh, you know, they have Patrick Mahomes. That doesn't matter. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is the best player in football. I mean, that does count for something. Yes, I understand that, but Jalen Hurts is also... He would have been MVP if he didn't get hurt. I don't agree with that. I think it would have been Patrick Mahomes regardless. Well, that's just the way the NFL would vote, but... The guy has the most rushing touchdowns as a quarterback. And it's he he does it with ease. It's not it's not like he's, you know, trying that hard. He he just does it. He's he's really good. So yeah, Patrick Mahomes is a better passer, but Jalen Hurts is a better runner and he's also very smart with the football. He does not turn it over. Patrick Mahomes does. Yeah, and and Steve, I appreciate the call. And yeah, Jalen has been very good protecting the ball. But again, like, okay, let's not get to the point where we're demeaning Patrick Mahomes here. Like, yeah, Patrick Mahomes turns the ball over sometimes. Patrick Mahomes is also asked to do a lot more than Jalen's asked to do. And that's not a negative toward Jalen Hurts. But let's face it, Patrick Mahomes needs to do more for that team to be successful than Jalen needs to do. I mean, Mahomes throws the ball a lot. Yeah. yeah, you're gonna throw a few picks. Right. It's not like he leads the league in picks. It's not like he threw thirty picks like Jameis Winston a couple years ago. Like he, I think he threw what, like eleven, twelve. Like yeah, so, it's not great, but I mean, it doesn't. He's gonna have to. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, mean, he throws the ball a lot. Yeah, he throws the ball a lot. Good point, Francisco. He does throw the ball a lot, and the the, the Eagles. You know, I mean, hopefully you can get a couple off him, but I don't know. I mean, I, I I'm confident as well. I as of now, and we'll see. I still got week to go here as of now I'm leaning toward picking the Eagles but I mean we got to respect the guy on the other side Patrick Mahomes is a bad bad dude and uh you know he could he he we've seen him win games single-handedly before we've seen him erase four touchdown deficits as if they're nothing 
Uh, so let's give that guy at least a little bit of respect. And as Ryan Clark said, Mahomes has had his flu game against the Bengals. So there you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's played injured. He's come out on top. Uh, I don't think underestimating Patrick Mahomes is a wise thing to do. Let's go back to the phones. Let's go to Wendell in San Antonio. Were you at the uh, at the game tonight, Wendell? No, I I, I watched it though. Um, you know, we're we're pretty good. San Antonio is not a very good team, and they're about to go on this West Coast swing. So you know, we had we had it as soon as the Sixers flew into town. It's no biggie. Yeah, no, no, big. no, the Spurs, man. They're, 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 I don't know how – like, they might be the least watchable team in the NBA. <laughs> they, I, I, I've been living here for now 12 years. I can't name a player off their team. <laughs> I don't blame yeah. you. Yeah, I, I don't yeah, know I, I'm I calling a reference to um, the, the Eagles. I, I'd rather talk Eagles than mm-hmm. talk about the Spurs. I mean, what did you – anyway, the Eagles uh, for the Super Bowl, I think the primary thing that they need to do is their strength, which is their offensive line. Our offensive line is better than their defensive line. We should make them tackle. We should play tackle football and just run at them. And what that does, it takes possessions away from Patrick Mahomes. Time. Kill time off the clock plus score. I don't think that Kansas City's defense is anywhere near the New York Giants defense or San Francisco's defense. So we can ball possess on them. Yeah, Wendell, I mean, I'm not worried about, like, you know, whether it's pass or run, I don't think that's something. Like, I think the Eagles, you move the ball wherever you can move the ball, and the Eagles need to be focused on scoring points here. I mean, oh, it, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not just all, all ball possession, but I, I get what you're saying. Like, you want to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. You want to be able to move the ball, and, and it's going to come down to, to whether the Eagles can dominate up front and offensively. Like, offensively, I think the Eagles are going to have a lot of success. My only concern would be on the defensive side, but from an offensive perspective, you know, I think they'll move the ball fine. I don't think this Chiefs defense is very good. Yeah, believe believe it or not, they're, they're not. And and that's the key there. What we did last week, we punched the 49ers in the face for four Russian touchdowns. That's domination. So we can do that against KC. What it does, it gives us scoring, and it also takes possessions away from Kansas City. Yeah. Which, that's why I'm not really frightened by Patrick Mahomes because they need to stop our offense. They need to stop that clock-killing line of scrimmage, and that's what it's going to be. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you, Wendell, and I appreciate the call. And, yeah, I mean, that's going to be a huge part of it. The Eagles are going to need to to dominate up front. Like, that's the key to victory here. And, again, like, probably sound like a broken record on it here, but it's very it's very obvious what the Eagles need to do. Like, their path to victory – is controlling the line of scrimmage, winning up front. If they do that, they should win this game, and they should win it rather easily here. That's going to be the key, is can you dominate the line of scrimmage like you have the last two weeks against the Giants and the 49ers? If you do that on both sides of the ball, then the Eagles could win this game, and and, and they could win it by double digits. I don't think there's any doubt about that. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. But – Obviously, you know, what the Eagles have done in the playoffs has been extremely impressive. Um, But still you're hearing people ask questions about them as a team and, you know, what they are and how they're going to – how they are going to react going up against a team like Kansas City. Because like it or not, like this is by far the greatest test the Eagles have had all year. And regular season schedule, you can't control it. Totally understand that. Postseason schedule, you play for the one seed to get the easiest path, and the Eagles have been very fortunate. They've gotten a very easy path to the Super Bowl here. Taking on Daniel Jones and the Giants, the Giants 
didn't belong at that point in the year. Taking on the 49ers last week, after Brock Purdy gets hurt, that game was over. And for that reason, you know, people are still kind of doubting them coming into this game. And here was on NFL Network earlier today, D'Angelo Hall, former uh, cornerback uh, for Washington, talking about the Eagles and, and and why he still has questions heading into the Super Bowl. And, I mean, I don't think what D'Angelo Hall is saying there is untrue. I mean, the Eagles have not been in many close games this year. Like, there's been one time in which Jalen needed to bring them down at the end of the game. It was against the Indianapolis Colts. He did it. Um, but let's face it, the Colts aren't one of the best teams in in the league here. And then the other game where the Eagles were in that situation was in Dallas, and, and Jalen obviously wasn't playing in that game. Um, but the Eagles have not faced the same level of competition the Chiefs have this year. And that's not you know, a, a, a statement of a hater or anything. That's just the truth. And here was more from Steve Smith uh, talking about the difference in the NFC compared to what the Chiefs have seen in the AFC. But I have a different approach about this. I don't really necessarily believe that the Philadelphia Eagles aren't battle-tested. I think they are yeah. battle-tested. They are the best team in the NFC. They're representing the NFC. But it's not their fault that the NFC was not as good as the AFC. You look at the NFC and you can count on one hand or two hands how many quarterbacks are out there that you really fear. But you look at the AFC and it's locked and loaded. You have, and and some people, I don't know why, but Justin Herbert, uh, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, there's a number of guys. But then when you go on the NFC, Carolina, the commanders, they don't know what they're doing. Dak Prescott, we know he's the guy. But outside of that, what about the Giants? Is Daniel Jones that guy? We don't know. So, unfortunately, the strength of schedule or the lack of strength of schedule that the Philadelphia Eagles have, have, they don't get to pick their opponent. You know, we talk about in football in the locker rooms, the coaches always stand up and say, hey, your opponent are their nameless, faceless opponents that you just must play. Doesn't matter. That man right there got a face, though. Yeah, yeah, Pat does. Mahomes, baby. They ain't seen nobody like Pat and Mahomes, so the though. NFC, That's all I'm saying. The NFC is a different breed of football. When you go against the AFC, it is a more talented division than the NFC. And so I, I, we'll see. We'll see how the NFC stacks up against the AFC. I mean, it's true. And if you want to get into one five five nine two nine four nine four, I'd love to get people's takes on this. Are you in any way worried? about the fact that the Eagles haven't faced the team anywhere near the the level of competition they're going to see next week. You know, does that worry you at all that you haven't seen them play a team like the Kansas City Chiefs? And I'm not just talking about from a quarterback perspective, but from a team perspective. Like, what is the best team the Eagles have played this year? Uh, what would you think, Francisco? Is it the Vikings? Is it the Cowboys? Like, who is the best team the Eagles have played, and you compare that to the Chiefs, and again, I'm not saying that this means the Eagles are, are worse or, or not deserving to be here. They are. You can only play the teams in front of you, but you look at the Chiefs. They played the Bills. You know, they played the Bengals twice. They played in that division. They played the Chargers twice this year. They played the Jaguars, who, you know, you know, by the end of the year, Jags got rolling a little bit. Does it worry you at all that the Chiefs have played far more difficult competition than the Eagles have? No, but, I mean, like, also I want to mention, like, 
Well, why are we not mentioning that they played in the toughest division of football? I mean, the, the worst team at it. I, I hear it. Here he goes with that. I face. mean, the, 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 the Giants. No, no, no. The Giants. They, they played stink. the best division of football. I mean, like, 8-8-1 eight, eight, eight and one is the worst team, which was Washington. Okay? So, like, don't, don't tell me that they, they didn't have to Washington play Washington and the Giants stink. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. They, they still, throughout the, the course, of, they, they beat Minnesota in the playoffs. I don't care if Minnesota choked. It doesn't matter. They, they played in the toughest division Minnesota of football. Minnesota stinks, too. Uh, whatever. You stink. Uh <laughs> So they played the toughest division of football. Okay, that that that's one thing. Um, yeah, I mean it, it, it's like as far as the toughest team goes. I mean it was supposed to be the Niners. Um, I mean I still think that. Look, I told you yet last night. Like the Niners still had the best defensive football, and they put thirty plus on them. So I, I don't care. Um, it's it's tough though because like, during the regular season, like you said, you play the Jags. Again, you played in the toughest division of football, but like none of those teams were the Chiefs or the Bills. Like to your point, which I I understand both sides. Um, but they no, I'm not worried though. Like I'm not worried coming into this game that like they're overlooking the Chiefs and they haven't been, uh, you know, tested. Like they still had to play the be- the best defense of football, played in the toughest division of football. Um, I I'm not all that worried that they're that they haven't been tested going into this game uh, i hear you and if you want to get into one five five nine two nine four nine four i don't think in any way would the eagles be overlooking the chiefs i just uh, i'm curious whether the level of competition gives people any pause in terms of how good this team is it doesn't for me like i do think the eagles are that good i don't think it really matters the fact that they haven't played the level of competition the chiefs have played but you can't deny there's a significant difference there. Like, you can't deny the Chiefs have played all of the best teams in the league. I mean, some of them multiple times. The Bengals, the Chargers, some of the best teams in the NFL, some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and the Eagles haven't. I mean, they just haven't. And the NFC East, yeah, I know by record that was a good division. I don't think the Giants were very good. I think the Giants were kind of a fraud. I think the Vikings were kind of a fraud. I mean, you look at the NFC this year, I think the Eagles were really the only really good team. Uh, San Francisco as well. But aside from that, like all the other great teams, all the other teams you're looking at as real contenders here, Chiefs, Bills, Bengals, Chargers. Like I would say of the four best teams in the NFL, three of them were in the AFC. The Chiefs, the Bills, the Bengals, and the Eagles, I would say were the four best teams in the league this year. Three of them were in the AFC. One of them was in the NFC. You mentioned the Chargers here. I thought you hated the Chargers. Yeah, but I think they're talented. Brandon Staley sucked. I think they're talented. Well, I mean, they, he does suck. I mean, to have such a good team and to lose a 27-point lead in the playoffs, what, I mean, what, what is that? you got to right. be pretty I, terrible I know, coach. but you're mentioning the Chiefs playing the Chargers here. That I thought the, the Chargers weren't well-coached enough to, to be mentioned with these, with these other teams. Well, no, they're good enough on talent to play with them, but then in the end, coaching matters. That's why they lost those games. Right, that's why the Giants beat the Vikings and the Chargers lost in the playoffs. I right? mean, I, I, I suppose. Oh, you guess right. right. I mean, I go. don't think, I don't think the Vikings are very good. The Vikings had a negative point differential this year for a thirteen and fourteen. They were the biggest fraud out there. The Giants were frauds too. I know what you're trying to do to me, get me worked up, and it worked. It worked, Francisco. Good. I am worked up now. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's go to uh, Mark in Egg Harbor. What's up, Mark? Hey, thanks for taking my call. No problem, man. I agree a lot with your points. To answer your question about the um, most. I don't know where I'm going to start. The most unselfish players, to go real quick, I would say um, going current, Scott Rowland, J.D. Drew, and Ricky Waters in one, okay. two, three. And the toughest team the Eagles played was San Francisco. 
and you're correct with the AFC has a lot tougher schedule than the NFC. Yeah, I mean, Mark, I just think, you know, and again, like I don't think this means the Eagles are frauds or anything. They're certainly not, but I don't think there's a question. The Chiefs have played a lot of those a lot of those top teams, and the Eagles haven't. They don't control who they play, but it's just a fact. It is a fact. And what do you think about my, my choices for, uh, unselfish, uh, for selfish players? I, I cannot believe Scott Rowland got elected to the Hall of Fame. I, I'm sure you're a lot younger than I am, but I don't think you remember when he played here. No, I remember the I remember the Scott Rowland stuff, Mark. I remember how it ended. I remember it ended poorly. Um, and you know, he he certainly wanted out, wanted to go to St. Louis. Um, but I don't know. I didn't look at the Scott Rowland. I don't think it was like nearly as egregious as like what we saw from a guy like Ben Simmons. You know, I don't think oh, it was ben nearly Simmons that. Might, okay. I was trying to think of other sports. Ben Simmons might have been my number one, too. I would agree with you there. I was trying to think. I, I, I'm a baseball guy and a football guy, so I was trying to think mm-hmm. out of the box. I was trying to think of hockey. I didn't go to basketball. But um, I think your, Ben Simmons might be number one. But if we go to another sport, Scott Rowan's there, too. Do you remember J.D. Drew? Yeah, I remember J.D. Drew, yeah. I mean, that was a situation he didn't want to be drafted by the Phillies and, and never signed the contract, correct. And Ricky Waters wasn't ex- exactly like a uh, really good team player either. Yeah. No, no, I hear you, Mark, and I appreciate the call. Um, you know, the, uh, Ricky Waters certainly with the for who, for what thing, you know, didn't wasn't always a team player. Scott Rowland, I'm not sure he really fits the bill. Like, I don't put him in nearly the same class as Kyrie Irving. I don't think many would be in the same class of Kyrie Irving. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, there, there are some better ones. I wouldn't say Scott Rowland is, is, is to that extent, uh, looked at as, as that selfish. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Uh, and uh, the side topic, if you're just joining us, um, most selfish athletes with Kyrie Irving basically just setting fire to the Nets the last three years. And now days before the trade deadline with the team in contention, he demands a trade. And, I mean, let's face it, they're screwed now. They're going to need to trade him. They're probably going to need to trade Kevin Durant because he's not going to be happy. Uh, but I will say this, where this does potentially benefit uh, the Sixers is it creates opportunity. And if Kevin Durant becomes available here, uh, the Sixers need to offer whatever you, you can make that happen. And I'll throw that out to the audience as well. guy like Tyrese Maxey, I mean, would you trade him in a deal for Kevin Durant? I'm not thinking twice. I'm doing it, uh, and I'm taking that chance, and I'm pairing Durant with James Harden with Joel Embiid. Would you do that? 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, uh, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Friday night. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Uh, I'll be back on Sunday night from 6 to 9 p.m. following the Pro Bowl, which I'm sure everybody's going to be locked in on the Pro Bowl. Are you you excited for the Pro Bowl this year, Francisco? Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah? Yeah, you're not. Uh, No, I am. I just said I am. All right, right, you did, you did. Yeah, I'm extremely excited for the Pro Bowl. I'm with you. 
yeah, it should, should be fun uh, to see. I think they're playing flag football this year, so uh, I'll I'll be on after that on uh, on Sunday. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, thoughts on the Eagles, thought on thoughts on the Super Bowl matchup, um, and you know whether you're concerned at all about this team not being tested, because I do think this is something that needs to at least be acknowledged. I mean, it's not something that I'm necessarily worried about here. But there's no doubt the Chiefs have played the best teams in the NFL. You know, the Chiefs have played the Bengals multiple times. Chiefs have played Chargers multiple times. They played the Bills. The Eagles, I mean, the NFC's just, just it's a really down year in the NFC. It doesn't make the Eagles any, any worse. It doesn't mean they're not a great team. I think the Eagles are a great team. But uh, there's no doubt that this conference this year has left a lot to be desired. And you finally thought that last week against the the 49ers, we would see them tested. We'd see them tested by one of the best teams in the NFL. And that wasn't the case. And, you know, you can't just overlook the fact that the 49ers quarterback gets hurt in the first series of the game and they're playing with a guy who's who's pretty much uh, not an NFL player for the remainder of it. Like, that is something that needs to be factored in. And we just haven't seen this team uh, play, uh, I don't think, a, a real top five NFL team this year. They certainly will next week. Want to know if that worries you at all. 215-592-9494. Also, most selfish athletes of all time um, off of Kyrie Irving. Uh, just calling it quits in Brooklyn, essentially. Requesting a trade after pretty much setting fire to, to everything they were trying to build over the last couple of years. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Joe and Delco. What's up, Joe? Hey, fellas. How you guys doing? You guys hear me okay? Yep, you're good. What's going on? Not much, man. It's just that, you know, this season is just a magical season. It's like a heck of a run. It's like, I can't believe what's going on. It's like... You know, I uh, I seen a stat that blew me away um, on ESPN or wherever it was, and Jalen Hurts has got a chance to do what only one other quarterback did in history of the NFL. I mean, it was a, I think it was six seventeen and one done by Joe Montana in nineteen eighty four. With this, it's that's that's unbelievable. You know, I know it's I don't I don't I don't know what it is, but it's like this team, guys, maybe. You know, I was also seeing stats on super teams. I know 84, the 49ers, 78 Steelers, the 89 Niners. They just went out there and they just, they, they just, they put teams away. Okay. What I'm trying to say is maybe this Eagle team, guys, is something that's never seen before here in Philadelphia. You're talking a team that scored over 540 points and over 70 sacks. That's unheard of. Okay. Secondly, it's just like something that, like I said, it doesn't come along very much in the NFL. What I'm trying to say is, is like the weird, not the weird part is the first, we've been to championships, the Phillies, the Sixers, whatever. We was always worried and, you know, and like, it's like, this is the first time coming into something that most of the fan base we're confident, and it's not, you know, uh, uh, a confidence. Oh, we're just fans, and you know, we're in green glasses. You know, in position by position, besides Mahomes, and uh, um, I mean, and what uh, the, the tight end and their defensive tackle, guys, we check off every other aspect of every other position. No, Joe, it's going to be interesting because it really is when you look at this matchup. That's what it comes down to. I mean, the Eagles, I don't think there's any doubt. They're the better team at pretty much every position except quarterback. And I think yeah, this game 100. I think I think this game you don't you don't believe that to be true? 
Well, I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, I think Mahomes, okay. I, I'm even giving them the tight end. They're, he's better than Dallas Goddard. Right. Yeah. I'm no, I agree. With that. I'd agree with that, too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But it's just like, guys, this, if break it down, you look in the great, I mean, I, I don't want to say this and, you know, whatever, like, whatever, Eagles fan, whatever. Dude, this team, it's special. It's something that I'm 47 years old. And the teams that I remember of bringing, of course, there's a lot of champions, but not great teams. Mm-hmm. Why can't we say that this team is actually great? Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say, guys? This could be awesome. No, Joe, be a great team. Yeah, Joe, and I appreciate the call. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt they're a great team. Like, this is a, 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 a I think, based on talent and the roster, I think this is the best Eagles team I've ever seen. And, you know, 2017, I, it's different than 2017. Like, I don't, I don't see a lot of parallels between this team and the 2017 team. Like, the 2017 team, that we know the story. They were underdogs in every game. They were outmanned in every game. You know, no Carson Wentz. Like, they were, they, they were the underdogs. That was the kind of nature of that team. This team is totally different. Like, this is more, much more comparable to the 4 team, the way I say it. Like, the 4 team was a powerhouse. The 4 team, again, I think a lot of similarities, too, when you look at the conference. I mean, the NFC in 4 was down. Like, the Eagles did not have a, a ton of competition that year. I mean, it was basically, if the Eagles didn't get to the Super Bowl— it was going to be a massive disappointment because they were clearly the best team in the conference. You know, they played the Vikings in the first round. Then they played that Atlanta uh, team led by Michael Vick. But I think a lot of similarities with those two teams. Now, when you look at the roster, I think this team is better. I think the Eagles are better at pretty much every spot. Like Donovan and Hurts, it's it's – it's close. I would say at that point, Donovan clearly a better passer. But Jalen, the way he's played this year, certainly the way he protects the ball, like I don't have fears going into the Super Bowl that Jalen would make the same kind of mistakes Donovan made in that Super Bowl and throw multiple interceptions uh, to turn the course of the game. But, yeah, I think this team is absolutely stacked. But at, that, at the same time, you, you can't just ignore the fact that they haven't played a great team yet. You know, they haven't played one of these juggernauts. Um, I don't think it means they can't beat them, but we haven't seen it yet. Like, we have not seen the Eagles beat one of the best teams in the NFL, and I do think it's a legit question going in next week, um, you know, considering they haven't played that level of competition. Let's go to Jim in the Northeast. What's up, Jim? Hey, how are you? Um, yeah, the only difference is I think that, uh, facing McCombs is the first time they faced a quarterback of this caliber, I think. And um, then I have another comment to make. After I give you, I'll give you my three selfish players, and then I really got to make a comment. Um, Pat Burrow, who was arrogant, ignorant, and selfish, never what would talk. What do you mean, Jim? Pat Burrow's a beloved figure here in Philadelphia. Well, every time you see him at the fight, he wouldn't even. Look at you. He just walked right by you. Uh, he was selfish. I'm sorry, but that's uh, – and, uh, of course, Scott Rowland and T.O. But let me tell you something. T.O.'s a good one. I would agree with T.O. Yeah, yeah. Now, the thing is we have to worry about our image. When fans say to somebody, we hope your plane crashes, now you'll deny that because you didn't hear the whole thing. But that's wrong, and it obviously was said. So we have an image, and yet – 
everybody says, oh, they're picking on us. Our image isn't like that. It was said. And when Cindy Warner said that, she's not making that up. But it wasn't that they were harassing her. They said, we hope your plane yeah, crashes. Jim, we talked to, that we, to somebody. We, we talked about this last night, Jim. I appreciate the call. We can all agree no fan should say that. Like, we we talked about this last night. I don't know what, I, you know, I don't know what else. You, yeah, we can all agree nobody should say that to somebody else. Okay? And, like, it, it's a shame that a couple idiots will give, you know, the entire fan base a bad name. But I just don't, I'm sorry, I don't know what ground we are going to cover by relitigating this thing again. I think we can all agree you don't say that to, to an opposing fan, to a family member of an opposing player, any of that stuff. You don't say it. I think we can agree on that, right? You just don't say it to anybody ever. No, you In don't say it. Sports or life. You don't say it to anybody ever. I agree, Jim. We are in agreement on that. Fans should not say that kind of thing. You know, it's a shame that a couple idiots, you know, make everybody else look bad. But to continue to have the same conversation we had last night, I, I don't I don't see what new ground we're going to cover. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Uh, get, uh, Mike, Mike, Brandon, we'll get all you guys after the break. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Friday night. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Uh, talking a lot, of obviously, about the Eagles tonight. It's, it's, this week off is rough. I think you kind of need it in a way. Like It would have it would have felt rushed to go straight into the Super Bowl from the championship games last week. But having a full week off, I mean, it's going to be a long wait to next Sunday. And, uh, you know, I can't can't wait to see this game unfold. I mean, as we talk about it, you know, there is a lot of a lot of, um, you know, intrigue surrounding how the Eagles are going to look. And I do think it's it's at least a fair thing to ask. Like, I'm not worried about the fact that the Eagles haven't played this level of competition. I do think this team is this good. Um, and I don't think that, that it's, you know, a sign uh, or or you know, they're going to be hit by something you're not expecting uh, next week going out against a team like the Chiefs. But there's no doubt that there's been a disparity in the competition level that both these teams have faced. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the Eagles come out and respond in that kind of situation on um, on uh, Sunday night next week. 215-592-9494 is how you get in. Let's go back to the phones, go to Mike in South Philly. What's up, Mike? Hey, how's it going, Tom? Good, man. What's happening? So this kind of ties in to your, you know, what you're talking about tonight a little bit. Um, I was I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and he's not really a big sports fan, but you know, obviously he's paying attention this year because the Eagles are in the playoffs and they're going to the Super Bowl and everything. And um, he asked me kind of like a, you know, an amateur question. He's like, "Well, if the Eagles can't beat the Chiefs, what do, what do they need to do next year to beat them?" And you know, I entertain this question. It's kind of a dumb question, but you know, it's he's not a big sports fan. So, but then I was I was thinking about how to answer the question. And I was like, and I think the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl, but just hypothetically, I was like, well, like, what could they do? Like, they're, they're better at almost every position. It's like a hard question to answer, you know? Like, the yeah, only Mike, position- I, I honestly, I don't think it is that bad of a question. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I mean, you can ask, but it, but but it's one of those one of those situations where if the Eagles lose this game next week, I feel like the only explanation is Patrick Mahomes is just going to go go nuclear, and there's not really anything that you can do to stop that. Yeah, and even if he did have a big game, if, if Jalen Hurts has a big game, you think the Eagles could be able to score with the Chiefs anyway, right? So, you would think. Like, 
So, like, it's one of those – like, the only thing they could do would be to upgrade – which you can't do because Jalen Hurts has, has been one of, like, the five or six best quarterbacks in football this year at, at, at a minimum. So, like – it's like, well, what could they do, right? So, but that kind of reinforces why I'm so optimistic about this game is because that question is so hard to answer because the Eagles, I think, have such a superior roster outside of quarterback. So that's one of the reasons why I'm optimistic. But, but um, to, to answer your question, I, I'm not really concerned because, I, you know, the Eagles do have one. I think they're 9-1 this year uh, against uh, above 500 teams. Um, so they have a good – record this year against quality teams and Tom just regardless of who they played it you know they did beat the Packers with Rodgers the Detroit turned out to be pretty good they crushed Minnesota um, and then they crushed two both teams in the playoffs but Tom aside from one game where they had four fluky turnovers they would have been undefeated this year with Jalen Hurts I don't care what your schedule is that's really hard to do yeah no doubt about it and Mike when I look at it like it's not something I'm worried about. Like I right now, if I was picking this game tonight, I'd probably pick the Eagles to win this game by double digits. But I, I do think there is something to be said for the fact that, you know, Kansas City has played all these teams and they've played in these big high profile games and you know, the Bengals twice going up against Burrow and the Bills and and, and all all of these high level uh, you know competition teams and, you know, it's not the Eagles' fault, but but we have not seen them play anybody near that caliber. Right, right. And I think, to me, that's why, like, to me, the person whose eye I'm going to have, who, who I think is going to be fixated on most, who, you know, the, who the eyes of the Delaware Valley, the, the eyes of the Philadelphia fan base is going to be fixated on most in this game is going to be Jonathan Gannon. Because even with Nick Sirianni, right, like, you got to figure the Chiefs are obviously an offensively, an offensive first team, right? So... You know, unless the offense completely craps the bed, you got to think that at a minimum they're going to be able to, to put up points in the mid-20s. And even, like, I think people to put too much in the play calling sometimes. It's important to an extent. But even if you call, like, a play that's not a perfect play, if you execute it, if your line blocks and you run the right routes, like, you can, you can still be successful on not the perfect play calls. But when you look at a team like the Chiefs that are built offense first and you have a player the caliber of Patrick Mahomes – where, where you're going to look at Jonathan Gannon and, and say, okay, you know, if a defense this talented cannot at least limit them a little bit, like if the Chiefs are able to have their way the entire game, whether it's rightly or wrongly, and I'm not even saying it would be justified, but I'm just saying rightly or wrongly, if, if, if the Chiefs put up like 35, 40 points in this game, Jonathan Gannon is going to get the full extent of the blame, no, rightly or wrongly. No, no Mike, I, I agree with you, and I appreciate it, man. Um, and, and thanks for the call. But, yeah, I think it's it's kind of crazy. And, but this, this, again, goes back to the point of the Eagles haven't faced one of these top-caliber teams. is Because Mike, I think, is 100% right. Like, we're going into the Super Bowl. This is statistically one of the best defenses we've ever, we've ever seen in this city. And this, I mean, Buddy Ryan teams, Jim Johnson defenses – there have been some great defenses in the city. The 2017 defense was a great defense. Yet we still have questions about Jonathan Gannon. Like, that, that's still something that is debated amongst this fan base is, is Jonathan Gannon up to the task? Is he a good defensive coordinator? We're not having these kind of conversations if the Eagles shut down a top-notch quarterback. Like, we're just not. We haven't seen them do it. And it's not to say they can't. But even this season, I mean, what has happened against the best quarterback the Eagles played this year? And regardless of what you think of Dak, in the second game in Dallas, Dak torched him. He did. He, he lit him up. 
The Eagles did turn the ball over four times. There's context that needs to be added there. But, you know, Dak lit him up. What other great quarterbacks have the Eagles played this year? Like Aaron Rodgers, okay. Aaron Rodgers had a pretty nice night against the Eagles. Now, I'm not going to lie. I was a little distracted during that game. My daughter was being born. I was kind of multitasking at the time. But I was watching it, you know, as closely as I could. Uh, but the Eagles' defense, they gave up a decent amount of points that night. And Jared Goff had success against this defense in week one. Probably the best quarterback they totally shut down was Kirk Cousins. And that was a primetime game. So you're talking about primetime Kirk Cousins, much different than 1 o'clock Kirk Cousins. We haven't seen the Eagles play against the quarterback and have success against the quarterback anywhere near the the level of Patrick Mahomes. And I do think that's something that, that you really need to consider. And Mike's right. I mean, if the Eagles defense comes out and they get lit up, I mean, for how great this defense has been this year, it's not going to matter. People are still, uh, you know, going to gonna really come down hard on Gannon uh, if this defense struggles. Uh, let's go to Mike and Matt Laurel. What's up, Mike? Yo, Tom, man. Uh, love being back here. I just moved back here from Texas. Oh, nice. <laughs> there from, you go, man. I'm a Philly guy. I was down there for eight years for work. Come back. The I was I was in Austin by the way, but the people down there, like the the Cowboys fans, they're the worst fan base. Honest to God, they, there's no passion. Like nothing compares to what we have here. Okay, now that's that's that. Let me get that out of the way. So I'm glad to be back. Love your show. Like you know, I'm a night shift guy. Listen to you for like the past week now since I've been back. Amazing. Yeah, um, that's awesome. The man. other. The other day I was watching the – it was on NFL Network. They, they showed the replay of the Chiefs-Niners Super Bowl. So I don't know how the Niners blew the game. I have no idea. But um, Hill had three touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, Mike, that was that was a uh, you. If you remember but, but, back to that game, have, he's not on the team anymore. Right. You remember back to that game. I mean, Tyreek Hill being on the field was a huge deal. I mean, the Niners, the Niners had a ten point lead with like eight minutes I, I, left. I don't know how they lost. It's, it's mind boggling. I watched the game like with eight minutes to go. Yeah, they were up twenty to ten, and and, and the, there so, was a third, and there was a third and fourteen, and the Chiefs hit a big yeah. play to Tyreek Hill, and after that, uh, Mahomes exactly. just took over. So, but. People have to understand, man. Mahomes is—he's a special dude, man. He can play. Yeah. So I, no matter who he has on the field, I, this is my point. Hill wasn't—he's not on the team now. They don't have the—he's not a weapon. Like the only weapon they really honestly have is Kelsey. Like, period. So when we played them last year, whenever it was beginning of the season, um, Kelsey didn't have a big game against us. Who did? Hill. Yeah. So now that he is not on the team, I'm not afraid of this team at all. Mahomes is going to get shut down. He's a great player, dude. Like no matter what, got to give the guy props. He's a great quarterback, probably better than Jalen Hurts. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if Hurts will ever beat to his level, but I, I don't see us losing this game. There's no way. I, I mean, I, I I hear you, Mike, and I appreciate the call. I wouldn't say there's no way. I mean, I think the Eagles win, but but again, like. Patrick Mahomes, and I do think – I think Mike makes a good point, though. Like, they've gotten through this season without missing Tyreek Hill. To me, this is the game where the Chiefs will miss Tyreek Hill. Like, like this is the game where not having that threat is going to cost them because, you know, this the, – the Eagles' corners, I think they have the best pair of corners in the NFL on the outside. 
that is a mismatch in the Eagles' favor. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, who's been banged up, but he's expected to play. Those two guys going up against Bradbury and Slay, I mean, the Eagles have an advantage there. If you have Tyree Kill to stretch the field, that changes things. That opens things up underneath for Kelsey. It opens things up for their running backs. Um, I think the Eagles are in a unique situation here where they can really focus on Travis Kelsey, and if you take him away, you can leave Bradbury and Slay in man coverage on the outside. And I think that's probably what the Eagles elect to do. That's certainly what I think Jonathan Gannon should do, is you let Bradbury and Slay take away those outside receivers. You double Kelsey on the inside with Avante Maddox um, and C.J. Gardner-Johnson. And then you cover the backs out of the backfield with with Epps and and, and your linebackers. If you do that and stop the run, uh, I think you're going to be in good shape here. Let's go to Brandon Hanover. What's up, Brandon? Yeah, Tom, just so good to hear you. I hope you're going to be on a lot during Super Bowl week. Yeah, I will. I, I believe I will be on a lot during Super Bowl week, Brandon. So uh, I, I appreciate that. But, yeah, I'll, I'll be on uh, – I think I'm on like four or five times next week. So Okay, look. Look, I, yeah. I hope we really can appreciate this football team in Philadelphia this year because it's probably not going to happen for a long while again. I, I get that uh, Howie's done a wonderful job. They're set up for the future. But like like you just said, and a couple callers have said, this team is good, at least good, I think we could say, at pretty much every position on the football field, offensively and defensively. That just doesn't that just doesn't happen. No, they're they're loaded. They're they're loaded, Brandon. I mean this and, roster's loaded. That just doesn't happen. The punter is where they're weak. I mean, the punter is literally the only weak link on this team. Now, the special teams has gotten better. It's not like, I think, I remember earlier in the year, we thought special teams would kill us uh, in a game. And Greg Kern still makes me very nervous when he punts. I hope we have Aaron Sippus back. I can't believe I'm saying that for the game. But look, I, I don't think it's disrespect for the Kansas City Chiefs to, to say, like we've been saying here, I I do like the Eagles to win the game, and and I actually think the Eagles could win the game by you know seven to ten points. It's they're not going to blow this team out, I don't think. Mahomes is going to make his plays, but let's consider the 0-4 game against New England. Deion Branch is the one who killed us over the middle. Deion Branch. Now the Chiefs. They have some secondary receivers like him. Justin Watson, I believe, is one of them. Or they they could have. Uh, I don't. I think Hartman's going to be out. But the uh, Kelsey's in the middle of the field, and then they've got uh, they've got Valdez Scanling. And now we're going to move the receivers around. I expect Andy Reid to try to get creative, and we've got to watch too for the, the trick plays, like an onside kick or something, where you might not be expecting it. So Andy Reid knows he's he's down matchup-wise, so he'll try to magnify the Eagles' possible weaknesses, and Mahomes is going to raise the level of those guys' play. So I do think the Chiefs are going to move the ball some, but whatever this team has been confronted with this year, not only have they prepared well, but, Tom, they've been able to react to what you're doing, and we're going to stop you. They haven't been stubborn to say, we have our game plan and we're stuck to it. Yeah, I think they're going to recognize what the Chiefs are doing eventually. They'll be able to score some points, but I don't think 
enough to win the game. You know, I hear you, Brandon. I appreciate the call, and thanks. Yeah, I mean, the Eagles had they, – they, and again, like, when you talk about the lack of competition and the questions, it's not anything the Eagles can control. Like, you can only control who you play and and, and beat the teams in front of you, um, and the Eagles have been great. Uh, but, you know, I think when you look at the, the – the competition level, and hey, we'll we'll find out next week. Like we will find out next week whether the Eagles were more byproduct of a weak conference and a weak schedule, or whether the byproduct of of being a really good team. I think it's going to be the latter. Um, but you know, they haven't played a quarterback anywhere near this yet. They haven't played an offense anywhere near this potent. And I think it's going to come down to the Chiefs' offense versus the Eagles' defense. Offensively. I think the Eagles will move the ball. I really don't have many worries on that side of the ball. I don't think this Chiefs defense is very good. I think the Eagles will move the ball effectively. Um, the question is, can they shut down Patrick Mahomes in this offense? And, uh, you know, that that's that's going to be uh, a big task for Jonathan Gannon uh, this week. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. When we get back, um, earlier in the show, Ray Dinger was kind enough to come on with us. Uh, I did want to let... Uh, people hear that who did not get a chance to earlier. So uh, we'll play that interview I did with Ray uh, coming up in the next segment. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Friday night. And uh, earlier on in the show, um, I was lucky enough to catch up with Ray Dinger, who I hadn't talked to in a long time, but it was nice to see Ray back uh, doing a lot of stuff um, and uh, on the postgame show and here contributing WIP as well. Uh, so I wanted to let you hear that. Here's my conversation with Ray uh, earlier on tonight. All right. Well, that was my conversation uh, with Ray Dinger. And always fun talking to Ray, previewing the Super Bowl, and uh, nice to hear Ray back, breaking everything down. A needed voice uh, ahead of Super Bowl 57. And now uh, we go from one WIP legend to another WIP legend. Mike Angelina checks in with us. Mike down doing some boots on the ground reporting for us down in San Antonio uh, with the rights to Ricky Sanchez crew at the uh, Sixers Spurs game tonight. What's going on, Mike? Stop, stop. You do not just compare me to Ray Dinger. I, I mean, two WIB legends just, you know, cutting it up. You and Ray. Well, what's going on? Is everything okay down there, Mike? Are you it, 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 getting arrested? It's a ridiculous comment, but, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll boost other kind of journalism right now. Uh, you are well, good, but. Well, how was it tonight, Mike? It looked like a festive affair. Uh, how, how, was, uh, how, was, how was the game, and, and uh, how was seeing your guy, Coach Brown, down there? It was really, it was really nice seeing Coach Brown. I appreciate you calling him correctly by the name. No, he, he came down and had he had a couple of nice messages for us, and um, you know he was appreciative of us making this trip down here. Sixers obviously reward us with you know playing well. They shot the lights out in the second quarter. It, uh, you know, it, it just really took care of business. Um, obviously, like look, like obviously this uh, it was a layup of the game. Uh, Spurs. He's not that good of a team, but, you know, they took, they took care of it and, uh, you know, rewarded everyone that made the trip. Yeah, well, that's awesome. I'm glad you guys were able to see see a victory down there. Did you get any special addresses? Did Joel and B come over and address the crowd? Any any players come over and acknowledge you guys? Coach Brown did. Coach Brown really, you know, really came over and, uh, you know, he, he's done this a couple times. He did this in Milwaukee with us or 
uh, yeah, the Milwaukee trip and came over and, and thanked us for trusting the process. And, you know, it's, it's part of the deal, right? Like, you know, we, we trust them and, the, you know, the team rewards us by uh, making sound moves, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that's awesome. And, uh, you know, a uh, g- great trip down there. When are you guys headed back, Mike? Or is 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 uh, this the end of the trip? You guys come back tomorrow? No, we'll be back Sunday. So Excellent. another day here, another day here to take over the town. I didn't really <laughs> realize that. Um, you know, Sixth Street here is kind of like their, their Bourbon Street, and uh, that's, that's kind of where we're. Uh, we're well, where, right where now. are you guys now? Are you guys still in San Antonio, or did you go back to Austin yet? No, so we bust. So. Uh, that's actually why I wasn't able to call you earlier. We we had, we bust back from from San Antonio to Austin. We're now in Austin now, and it's really it's kind of their Bourbon Street. It's that kind of situation. Um, I didn't like. I didn't realize it was that kind of like they, they actually shut down the street here on Sixth Street, and um, you know, it just kind of opened it up for you know people to hang out. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I've heard Austin's great. Well, enjoy it, Mike. Thanks for checking in. Thanks for being for being our boots on the ground reporter down there. And uh, you know, tell 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 Spike that I said hello. Yeah, of course. Right. Of course, Tom. All right, Sounds thanks, good. Mike. Uh, appreciate All it, man. Right. That's Mike Angelina, senior producer here at WIP, checking in from San Antonio. Sounds like they're having a good time down there. I'm jealous. There yeah. That, that- Sounds like fun. I mean that, that that's a cool that was a cool choice for their trip, you know. And and I mean Spike does a great job running this stuff with the rights to Ricky Sanchez, and it's their first trip I think in several years here because pandemic, all that stuff. You know, it's a cool choice to go down to San Antonio. Brett Brown's coaching down there. He's kind of a folk hero of the rights to Ricky Sanchez guys. So so good stuff, and we appreciate uh we appreciate Mike checking in for a few minutes. From San Antonio, I miss those awesome. process days. By the way, yeah, I mean that. I've always wanted to go on the going to going on road trips to watch your team play. There's nothing more fun than that. Like you know, we great. should TK. We should go on Phillies road trips. You know, to sit oh first God. baseline. You know, right by Reese Hoskins, me, you, maybe Nick Earnshaw too. I, I, not maybe, yes, Nick Earnshaw. Okay, you well, know, where, we'll, where all are we three of go us. To? I don't know. Well, maybe we'll go to. Uh, I've never been to City Field. I kind of want to go to City Field. You know, uh, see what uh, the Mets the, the Mets stadiums like. We can all go. Well, I have a I have a plan. How about did the Phillies play the Yankees this year, or, or no? I feel like they do. All right. Well, I mean, Ricky loves hooking people up with tickets, so maybe Ricky can hook us up. And oh yeah, absolutely. You and Nick, we can all go up to a Phillies Yanks game. Yeah, first base side sounds good. first row. Yeah, I'll inquire with Ricky next time I see him. See if he can hook us up. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's get a uh, Jack and Had Nights in here. What's up, Jack? Hey man, what's going on? Uh, not much, man. How's it going? First, I got two points. Um, Lane Johnson. Everybody keeps sleeping that he's all. He's been off for two years. Hasn't let a sack in two years. Two years ago, he was mentaling mental illness. He was, uh, you know, he didn't even know if he wanted to step back on the field or not. Now, these past two years, he's been battling through it. He's he's the most true warrior on our whole team. If he can battle through that and uh, uh, grasp his mental, you know, he's uh. The best warrior we have our have out there on our on our offense. Yeah, Jack. No, it's been awesome. I mean, Lane Johnson, um, he's a warrior, and what he's doing right now, playing through this injury, I mean, it's huge for the Eagles. That they need him out there, and and uh, awesome that he has been able to come back and play the way that he has. Yeah, it's great. Uh, my second point is, uh, Eagles, we're gonna win. You know, our, our defensive line. I said this last uh, maybe two weeks ago when we were uh, playing the def- uh, Niners. 
our offense or sorry, our defensive line is just going to spook uh, Patrick Mahomes. I, th- I don't think his defensive line can hold up enough, or sorry, his offensive line can hold up enough against our decent defensive line. I think he's going to break through. He's going to get spooked. He's going to. No, I, I hear you, Jack, and I appreciate the call. And yeah, I mean, I think you know the Eagles. They're they're the defensive line. That's going to be the key to victory here. Let's get Tom and Marlton in. What's up, Tom? Yo, what's going on, brother? How awesome. are you, man? Good. How are you? Good, man. It's it's tough uh, hanging on and, and hearing so many different points from everybody else, but uh. I just wanted to say I want to put every caller's mind at ease. I honestly think that we we are going to smack the Chiefs. I I 100% think. I mean, if you look at it statistically, our team just we match up better than the Chiefs in almost every aspect. If you you know if you talk about Mahomes and Hurts, okay. If Mahomes is 100% healthy, yes, he's a better quarterback than than Jalen Hurts, but he's not. He's not going to be running around. He's not going to be doing the things that he normally does. And, yeah, I mean, that sucks. But you know what? It has nothing to do with us. So we have to play him how we're going to play him. And I think other than that, we just match up 100% better than them in every aspect of the game. Yeah, no. I I, I think we're going to smack them, dude. I I, I mean. I hear you, Tommy. I really do. I'm sorry, man. I'm low on time. I appreciate hanging on. But, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's. I, that certainly is the plan, but but Patrick Mahomes is really damn good. And I just, uh, you know, I want to caution people a little bit. I mean, I'm confident. I think the Eagles, as of now, I would pick them to win this game. Patrick Mahomes is the best player in football, and he's here for a reason. And um, this bye week's going to be big for him. I mean, to get more healthy, uh, he's going to be tough to stop. So I think people do need to keep that in perspective a little bit. Uh, but I'm Tom Kelly. When we get back, we'll turn things over. Steve Trevelis coming up for the overnight show. We'll talk to Trev coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly wrapping up the show on a Friday night here. And it's time to turn things over to Steve Trevelis. Trev uh with the overnight as always what's happening trev man look at all this lineup you bring in you, you built me an audience you get ray you get angelina I know. Was angelo coming on next i mean my <laughs> god everybody yeah i don't know th- i don't think i'd i'd be able to get angelo at this time no, you don't but... know right you never know sometimes you get up in the middle of the night <laughs> No, you got to use the bathroom hey i mean who I, do you think is call the, Tommy. who do you think is the bigger guest uh ray or mike I mean, it's, uh, it's close. Well, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Yeah. You know, I, I would say, you know, I would say it's kind of neck and neck. Yeah. But I do know that Ray was the opening act because he went on first. Right. So he would be like the host. Of, <laughs> right. <laughs> that's know, true. And then and Angelina would be the headliner. He'd be the buildup. You know, that's what you, you, you grease the audience for, like the pole that they were just talking about. Trev, that, well, that leads me to ask you a question. Who's yeah. the biggest uh, person that you have, like, performed with uh, on a show? On a comedy show? Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, I mean, see. I know you've performed for many, with many big acts, so, you know. Well, you're saying, who have I opened for? Yeah, opened for, yeah, or they've opened for you. Well, nobody opens for me. <laughs> I like going first. I really, really do. Most people hate going first, like comics, you know. They want to get out of that spot and get into the second or third spot. I love it being first because they, they call it taking the bullet because they're not ready. They're getting comfortable. I like to go first, get it out of the way, do my thing, get it ready for the next guy. And you know that the weight isn't on you mm-hmm. because, you know, hey, listen, when I'm do- I know that when I'm done, I got two home run hitters following me. 
So I know you're going to laugh, but it's kind of like, like I get the credit for the whole show. Like, like you know, like um, Jimmy Fallon, he opens the show and then he brings the guests on. It's his show. Letterman was like that. So I always liked that. But the guys that I've opened for, uh, let's see, Robert Klein, Gilbert Gottfried, Artie Lang, uh, Richard Jenny was a great one. Bill Hicks. Uh, there have been so many. Louis Anderson. I'm trying to think if I, Elaine Boozler. Uh if I if I thought about it, I could come up with more. Bobby mm-hmm. Collins is another funny guy, but it's great. I'm going to be opening for a guy next Friday night named Vince August. And this guy was a municipal court judge in New Jersey, in Bergen County, and he was doing comedy on the side. And they called him in. The Supreme Court said, "You have to make a choice. You can either stay on the bench, or you go do comedy." So he said, "Fine, I'll go do comedy." So now. He ends up, uh, he warms up the Daily Show three nights. He tours opening up for Trevor Noah. And uh, he's on ABC. What's that ABC show, What Would You Do? He does that. And by day, he's a defense attorney. That's good. That, that's crazy. I mean, that's committing to your to your career, though. I mean, when you decide to give up the, the, the judging to, to do comedy. I mean, that's really committing to it. Yeah, but look at the but look at what he fell back on though. Do you know what it you know what it takes to warm up the Daily Show? Like you oh, know, yeah. people go to the Daily Show. He comes out, warms up the crowd. And he does that a couple of nights, and then on top of that, touring with Trevor Noah pays a pretty penny. You know, a world yeah. like world tour. And by the way, he's a defense attorney. What do you think lawyers make? I mean, it really wasn't that much of a sacrifice. He leads a pretty it. interesting life, I would say. Oh yeah, and he don't take no from nobody. <laughs> He's hysterical. But I mean, just the idea that the bench would be stupid enough to say you have to choose. Why can't you do both? Right. What's the problem. Yeah, I mean, I don't see a problem with that. No, but you know what? The great thing about comedy, you always, you're always gonna laugh. You know, that's why I put a lot of comedians on. That's why I love like, like Big Daddy. You know, when Big Daddy. Um, Remember when Big Daddy had cancer mm-hmm. and he went into hospital? He always wanted to work with Robert Klein. And I had a comedy club in Cherry Hill called Sarcasm. And Big Daddy's last performance before he went and got the operation was uh, I, put, I, I hired Robert Klein and had Big Daddy, you know, co-headline with him. And when Big Daddy got out of the hospital, the first show he did was back at Sarcasm Comedy Club. That's and awesome. it was so, it really was. It was just to see his face, to see him light up because he got to hang with his idol and work with his idol. And I loved Richard Jenny. And like the great thing about Richard Jenny is my favorite comedians. Google him if you haven't seen him. You, you won't stop laughing. Okay. And to be, I was on stage at the uh, Strand Theater in Lakewood, 1,100 people, and he's standing in the wings watching me. And I'm thinking to myself, this is so freaking cool. There's Richard Jenny. <laughs> And I got that, you know, and he, I got a critique after him and all that. But, uh, but it was, it, you know, it's you, the great thing about comedy, you're always, no matter what your day is like, you're going to laugh somewhere along the line. Yeah. No, no, that's, that, that's, that's amazing, Trev. And I, I have so much respect for comedians, like what you guys do, because, you know, it's, it's different than being on the radio, obviously. And I, I don't know what it's like. I've never done comedy, but I can imagine, you know, being up there with your material in front of, it, really in front of people, it's different than sitting behind a microphone. Well, you it's got to be what? a lot more pressure. It's, well, it is and it isn't. You know, uh, I used to be a mobile DJ. I did weddings, bar mitzvahs and all that. Did that for like years at a mobile DJ company. And when you're a mobile DJ, you know, like when you go to weddings, you know if you play certain songs, you're going to flood the dance floor. Mm-hmm. And when you do comedy, you have jokes that you know 
that you've done them before and they always get laughs and those are like your records that flood the dance floor. Right. And it's the same thing when you're up there. So you know, like, if you do it long enough, you know what's going to work, which makes it much easier. And if you try things that you're not sure of, you follow them up with what you know is going to work. So if you're doing it, you know, and in the beginning it's hard because you have to get used to people not laughing as you're learning how to do it. And I remember the first night I did it, uh, first night I did it, I opened for Gabe Kaplan, Mr. Cotter. Uh, but there was a couple of weeks, you know, now I'm on my own doing it. And I was at the Comedy Cabaret in Doylestown, and I totally sucked. And I'm up there, having done all the weddings and the hosting at the Comedy Works and all that stuff. But I'm up there, and I'm dying. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, when I, I may not have the material now, but when I get the material, and that's all it is. You just have to keep working at it till you make them laugh. Who are your favorite comedians? My favorite comedians? I mean, I'm not, I'm not huge into stand-up well, who makes comedy. You laugh? Um, I don't like, I, I don't know, like funny movies make me laugh. I'm okay. not a huge stand up comedy guy. Like, not that I don't enjoy it. I just right. don't really consume it that much. No, that's cool. You know, yeah. and you, you never know. Like, you know, a lot of, if you, who are the, who are the, move, who are the comedians on, in the movies that make you laugh? Because a lot of those guys do stand up. I don't know. Like Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, those kind of guys. Right. John C. Yeah. Riley's hysterical. Yeah. I love Scrubs. I love them in Scrubs. Uh, and who's your Will Ferrell? Uh, you know, a lot of Louis Anderson was very funny. John Candy, you know, amazing. Robin Williams. Yeah. There are a lot of people that didn't know Robin Williams did stand up when he died. I didn't know he did. So. Well, I actually, no, I did. I knew I knew Robin Williams did stand up. He was a but he was a well-known thief of jokes. It's something that oh really is that right? Oh, big time. It's something that I want to I, I want to go to more. I've only been to like I think one comedy show in my life, but I do, do want yourself check it a out favor. More. Yeah. You know, and you know enough people down there. Go, you know, Conklin, everyone, every Thursday night, or is it Thursday night he does Conklin's Comedy Night? Down at Parks, yeah. At Parks. And he puts some great acts on there, and Joe's really funny. And, you know, they'll come. You go see a show. Because you know what's great about it? They only run about 90 minutes. And it's like one, two, three. One right after the other. Usually there's a texture to it. So, like, there's different types of comedy for different types of people. Right. Try one out. And just, it's, it's nice to be able to go and... Listen and laugh and have people just, you know, they take the world and they kind of turn it just a little bit to the left. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like confronting the bully. You know, some people confront the comedy like confronts the bully and laughs in its face. Yeah. And, and I would like to check that out more. I went to I went to a, a comedy show like years ago. But, yeah, I mean, it's something I haven't done much, but I do enjoy stand up comedy. I just. You know, haven't gotten the chance to check it out that much. Well, but. enjoy good stand-up comedy. Bad, bad <laughs> yeah. stand-up comedy. Good, yeah, not, yeah, good. That yeah. hurts. That's not bad enjoyable stand-up at all. comedy is not, probably not, not nearly as enjoyable. But uh, what do you got coming up tonight, Trev? Well, let's see. We can talk a little Super Bowl. Well, yeah. You uh, can. I, I'll tell you. Uh, well, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I did not realize this. Today is Fran Tarkenton's 83rd birthday. And when I was a little kid, Fran Tarkenton was the quarterback of the New York Giants. He was my first quarterback. Uh, you know, little, little like 10 year old me, uh, who was your first favorite quarterback? Probably Randall Cunningham. I mean, and and now I don't really remember his, his era nearly as much, but when I was a little kid, I mean, that was the guy that I probably, you know, watched when I started to really realize like what the Eagles were and stuff like that. And he was so much fun to watch. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and like, how would you compare like Randall Cunningham to Jalen Hurts? I think they're different. I mean, I, again, like I don't remember as much Do Randall's you? Eagles era. 
Um, I remember him more like later in his career when he's more of a passer with the Vikings. But right. I mean, Hertz is just so well rounded for a guy that young. You know, I I I think he's he's so developed, and I think it's part of from his experience in college. Um, I think he's just more developed at this point in his career than a guy like Randall was. Uh, Jalen Hurts kind of reminds me a little bit of Donovan, honestly, for, See, for where he is. I think it's more – Donovan didn't want to run. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Rand, see, Randall – when Randall played, he was he's following Ron Jaworski, who was a total stiff. Uh, then you get Randall. In fact, there was a there was a Monday Night Football game, which you probably know about, against New Orleans, where they roll a crawl before – ABC rolls a crawl with uh, Michael Jordan and I think Wayne Gretzky – and Randall Cunningham in pro football, like they thought of him that big because Randall was a guy he could run, he could throw, he could make stuff up in the dirt. I mean, he was just like the all-around quarterback. And the thing that Randall suffered from was he never really had coaching. Buddy Ryan would just say, go, you know, go make something happen till we can get the defense back on the field. And he never really had that. I think Jalen Hurts has that kind of talent where he could use his legs, he could use his mind, he could use his arm, just like Randall could. Only the difference between Jalen and Randall, Jalen has the coaching. And he's got, and he also has the playmakers because Randall really didn't have any playmakers. He had Arkansas, Fred Barnett. He had, he had Chris Carter, but Chris Carter was dealing with alcoholism. He had Reggie Jackson was his tight end. Uh, and then Keith Byers. I mean, he didn't have the playmakers. But Randall was more like a one-man show. But he had the talents of like a Jalen Hurts. Like I said, to me, Jalen Hurts is more like if Randall had good coaching and playmakers, right. he would have been Jalen Hurts. Yeah, and I think that's a shame is that he didn't have that kind of coaching early on in his career. And, you know, for as much as people like Buddy Ryan, I mean, I mean, Buddy Ryan should have accomplished way more with those teams if he paid attention to the offense, but he didn't, and unfortunately, they never lived up to the expectations. That was his problem with the Bears. Mm-hmm. You know, Buddy almost resented offense. <laughs> he got and and he gets to the Eagles and pretty much does the same thing, but never really gave you know gave Randall any kind of help and would just have him go back there and you know really be his own coach, be his own offensive coordinator. But look what happened. Like you said, when Randall gets to the Vikings, and who's his coach? Brian Billick, of all people, who mm-hmm. becomes a defensive coach. But, you know, when Randall gets to the Vikings, now he's got the playmakers around him. Now he's got an offense, and that's where he basically blossoms. And it's a shame because it should have happened with the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, no doubt about it. And, you know, that's an era that, unfortunately, for as much as people look back and, and, and you know, remember it fondly, I mean, they should have accomplished a lot more. And it's really yeah. disappointing they didn't. I don't understand why it's remembered. It's immortalized I don't the either. way it is. <laughs> and, and, and people will tell me, oh, you just weren't there to, uh, you know, experience it. I, I was. What yeah. a big deal. Yeah, no, I know. I'm with you, Trev. Like, and that's what bothers me. And as we lead into this Super Bowl, like, I hold a lot of, you know, fondness for Andy Reid. I know they didn't win the Super Bowl, but, like, I don't understand fans that, that view Andy Reid Andy Reed as a failure but idolize Buddy Ryan when, I mean, Andy accomplished a lot more than Buddy did. I, you're, Andy accomplished way more, but there was something about what Andy didn't have that Buddy had was swagger. And they the, the interesting in, they thing is, I, into the swagger. I think Andy has swagger now. Like Andy you think seems, so? yeah, in Kansas City, I think he does have a little more swagger. You know, it's funny. I watched, 
I watched his press conference, and I remember dubbing all those press conferences, look forward to the challenge of playing so-and-so. And that's exactly the way he opened it up. He looks a lot more – he looks a lot older now, a lot more worn. Right. Uh, I don't know. Like, like I was talking about last week. Well, you know, what does it do to his legacy if he loses – and Sirianni goes to the Super Bowl in two years and wins one. Peterson goes to the Super Bowl in two years and wins one. It, Andy never really got one. He's got one in, what is it, uh, almost a 20-year career now. Uh, you know, what does it do to his legacy? I don't think it would really hurt his Like, I think Andy's a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's no doubt about that. But Really? Th- oh, oh, yeah. I mean, Trev, I mean, he Won Super Bowl in 22 years. But he is one of the winningest coaches of all time. I mean, he's been to so many yeah, championship Levy, games. Yeah, right? yeah, but but he won. But that's a difference. He's not Marv Levy. Like, he did win one. And that one, Well, Marv Levy deal. went to four. How many did Andy go to? Oh, Andy's, Andy's been to... Three. This is fourth. This will be his is fourth. This is his fourth. Yep. This will be his fourth. All right. So if he if he were to win this one, now what about this? If Howie Roseman, if, if the Eagles win this Super Bowl, does Howie Roseman become a first ballot Hall of Famer? A first ballot, maybe. I mean, I think Howie is already taking, a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Taking two Super Bowl teams, he should be within five years. Completely different teams. Yeah. Restructured and rebuilt. I don't think it's ever been done. No, I think he should be. And really, I mean, during whole Jeffrey Lurie's ownership, Trev, I mean, this has been a pretty incredible organization. So Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to think there may have been one one team that was reformed quickly and went back. I think I had one, but I'm not sure and I have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Somewhere around was there ever a team that went to the Super Bowl? Oh, all right, I got it, I got it. The 76 Raiders uh, beat the Vikings. You remember the the Willie Brown run, right? Go, Willie, go! That one. Uh, and then they come back in 1980, right? The 76 team had John Madden as the coach. Mm-hmm. And they come back in 1980 with Tom Flores as the coach. And Jim Plunkett as the quarterback. And they beat the Eagles, right? Because you had, you had Madden and Stabler in, 79, in 76. Mm-hmm. And that was the famous, you know, the, the, the famous, you know, what do you call them? Uh, Raider teams. I forget what the nickname was. They come back four years later in 1980, and they beat the Eagles with uh, Plunkett and Tom Flores and a whole different cast of characters. That's the only other time I could see it, I've ever seen it being done. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, only seven of the same players, Trev, from, from the, uh, 2017 to now – and, you know, I mean, what Howie's done is, is remarkable. And, yeah, they made mistakes, but what the Eagles have done over the last two years is really incredible. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you have to really take it in. I mean, the 2023 Eagles, 2022 Eagles, seriously will go down in history as a team for the ages. There's no flaws on this team. No doubt. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out and, uh, you know, how, how they match up with the Chiefs. So it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be crazy in a couple weeks, no doubt about that. I really think this is going to be an easy game. I really think they're going to beat the Chiefs. I kind of feel the same way. I do. I think the line of scrimmage is the big difference here, and I just think the Eagles are so good up front. It just Maybe we've been jaded a little bit because of some of the teams they played, but, I mean, I just think they're going to dominate the line of scrimmage. Jaded or Jalen? <laughs> it's maybe a little bit of both, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah. So it's gonna be it's gonna be fun though, no doubt about it, Trev.
No matter what Mahomes does, he's got a bad ankle to begin with. But, you know, and I saw this with the Giants. You know, okay, here's the one place where the Giants may have an advantage, and they didn't. But, by the way, we got three other rushers who have 10-plus sacks each. It's going to be the same thing with Mahomes. Right. How can that line hold back that many pass rushers? And, you know, and then on top of that, you go, you know, then you go to the offense. I mean, they've got it on both sides of the ball. And the, the way they did it and – the way they're growing it. And the Eagle, I mean, Kansas City really doesn't have any receivers. It's going to be all on Travis, Kelsey. Yeah, I mean, and, and the Eagles are going to need to cover him. But aside from that, I mean, their corners against his outside receivers. The Eagles definitely have a mismatch there. So It's going to be fun to watch. It definitely will. Well, that's Steve Trevelis. He's got you for the next three hours. I'll be back on Sunday night from 6 to 9. Talk to you then. Thank you to Francisco Rojas for producing. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order. Order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.